as nostalgic as I am for that tune, there's something really upsetting about the tuba at the beginning and a couple of the other sounds that sort of pop up there at the end. That is the theme song to the ABC After School Special, which I hope most of you recognize. Um, that was a huge part of my childhood and I think the childhood of one of our other co-hosts here. I'm not sure about the third one. Um, tonight, the topic is sort of split between two. Um, we're going to concentrate heavily on just the um, ABC After School Special as a whole. But um, we decided to choose two episodes, and there's a caveat here after I say this, um, that featured an actor that I think we all love. Um, I mean, all of us in the entire planet, including Putin and maybe even Trump. So he is that loved. Lance Guest, who you probably best know from The Last Starfighter, um, Halloween 2, which is my favorite film of his, and um, or Jaws 4. And uh, what's really fun about this is we're going to be talking about two of his specials, and he was nice enough to answer some questions for me through email. And so when this episode goes up, I'll put the link in the show notes, but you can also go to madefortvmayhem.com and there will be a full interview there. And let me tell you, we only corresponded briefly. I sent him some questions and we talked a little online. Um, he was really cool about it and kind of excited that we were talking about his TV work because he says nobody ever asked him about that. And that was really exciting for me to be one of the first people, or maybe the first, to actually like ask him what it was like to work on after-school specials. So my caveat is actually that one of these isn't an after-school special. It just seemed like one, and I think they took it and aired it later, but it was actually aired in primetime originally, and that was uh, Please Don't Hit Me, Mom. Um, which is the first film we'll be talking about. The second one is my favorite uh, Lance Guest joint uh, that he did for television, which is something called Two Loves for Jenny or Between Two Loves. I think one of the things we'll have to talk about is how come there's no Jenny in it. Um, that's a little disconcerting to me. But that's what we're doing tonight. Um, and then we're going to have a kind of a special... Uh, pre-show thing I don't know what to call it but um a, a listener of ours uh, named Chris Dalton was was really kind and he sent me an article with, that was an interview with Joseph Stefano um who had written the tv movies Home for the Holidays and Snow Beast and he was actually interviewed by Fangoria about these movies and so I'm going to read the excerpt about that uh before we get into the after school specials but let me introduce my host I'm sorry that seemed like a lot of information and I haven't had enough to drink yet so let's get started hey Dan what's up not much I um I haven't really delved into the world of after school special in ages and mm -hmm. so I I'm excited to um uh have this discussion with two loves for Jenny and please don't hit me mom which seem very uh sort of dis disparate um titles sort yeah, of they do and and they're disparate episodes so I think they're kind of perfect to talk about the scope of the after school special mm -hmm. And one of them is Nancy McKeon in it. So when she's kind of becoming our mascot, she and Granville Van Dusen might have to duke it out. <laughs> <laughs> the end of the year. That'll be a New Year's Eve episode for everyone. By the way, I have my eyes on Granville Van Dusen. I'm going to oh. get him on the show if it's the last thing I do. So just <laughs> letting you know. Um, so we're, we're also here with Nate. Hey, Nate. Hello, Amanda. So <laughs> you sound so good on your, so Nate has a new mic. That was really nice. Maybe he should be just doing the show by himself. We're going to give you our show notes and we'll just go to bed. Um, <laughs> so, so Nate, um, you're a little younger than us. Do you really remember the after school special? Cause it ran into the nineties. I, I do remember watching them, but I don't, I guess, remember them very well. Okay. So, cause they never did a slasher after school special, did they? 
Yeah, and that's true. And I think that it's something that would be beneficial, you know, like the <laughs> to the heart of yeah. why the slasher's doing what they're doing. <laughs> if only we could go back in time, right? And like make the slasher after school special with like uh with Nancy McKean, of course, since she's apparently in all of the these things we talk about. And maybe Moosey Dreyer. Oh yeah. Was it he's in what was that one? The the one who the kid who's slow or Oh, is that Hewitt's something? Yeah, I have. Yeah. We're gonna be talking about Moosey Dryer a little bit later tonight, so mm. um, I'll, I'll get that. Hewitt's just different, or something like that. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Moosey Dryer in a slasher would be really good, and it makes sense because he was in Kids Incorporated, and oftentimes I wanted to watch those kids slaughtered. Really? <laughs> yeah, I love Kids Incorporated, but they drove me nuts because they did covers of songs I loved. Oh yeah. yeah. And it would and it would make me mad because usually the covers weren't as good, and also. They uh, I, they took out um, lyrics to make the song shorter. Oh. And I didn't like that. So, like, they did Go-Go's Vacation, but then they didn't have the second verse. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Oh, that's been a, that's a memory that um, is now um, rising up in my mind. Kids Incorporated, wow. Yeah, he was, like, the only adult, in quotes, character. I think he might have been a teenager. He may have mm-hmm. been in his 20s, but I think he was playing a teenager, and he ran the like the club that the kids played at i think okay. or he worked there or something and um that was when i really like became head over heels in love with moosey dryer and it might be why i watched <laughs> kids incorporated because it was a little i was a little too old to watch that show we you know what i want to do an episode of shows i was too old to watch and we can talk about california dreams and <laughs> yeah, let's Ki- do it. kids incorporated and probably saved by the bell the college years which was so good um <laughs> But I was yeah, like, that oh. might take some convincing on your end to uh, convince me of that. No, no, no. The college years are fucking aces. Trust They're me. Brilliant. So it's good. Like Baywatch Nights, sec- second season. Yes, so but if but if they first. but if it starts Zach. Mm, okay. It's so right. good, so good. Okay, so but before we get started, because I can tell we're going to start talking about teenage crushes and things like that, um, and I'm sure we'll get into it when we get talk about Lance, uh, at least for me. Um, let me just do this uh, article because I'd really like to do this, and we put it off for two episodes. I think because Nate couldn't make an episode, and then last episode you were preoccupied, and we didn't have time to do it. So um, here we go. So I can't. I'm not sure what year this came out. Uh, maybe 1990. I see a photo from 1990 here. Uh, Fangoria interviewed Joseph Stefano, and one of the questions they asked was: Back in 1972, you wrote the TV thriller Home for the Holidays with a strong cast that included. Uh, Walter Brennan, Eleanor Parker, Sally Field, Jessica Walter, and Julie Harris. What do you recall of that experience? Stefano replied, There again I had a man, Brennan, who was afraid of his new wife, was plotting to kill him. It was kind of a, a leer concept where he calls his four daughters home to help him. The truth of the matter, of course, is that one of the daughters is totally whacked out and mad. The wife is not trying to kill him, but the daughter takes advantage of the man's suspicions which um, isn't a lot of information about the movie, but there we go. So then Fangoria said, and Snow Beast? And Stefano replied, Snow Beast was a different kind of thing. NBC called me and said, we'd love to do a scary movie about some kind of Bigfoot creature that terrifies a ski resort. I said, okay, sounds nice. I went away, and about six months later, I said I had the story done. Then I wrote the script. Even then, I had a man whose secret past was that he had chickened out at the wrong moment in his life. In the script, I had him not only reveal the secret, but overcome it. 
Fangoria, you weren't particularly involved in either production? Stefano, no, I wasn't. Home for the Holidays was an Aaron Spelling production. I'd met him at a party, and he said, why don't you do a movie for me? So we met, and when I pitched Home for the Holidays to him, I said, Aaron, I need a lot of assurance that this movie will be shot in the snow. My concept of the movie was that it was a Christmas card with a bloody thumbprint on it. Aaron swore, hold on, I scroll up. Aaron swore up and down that that was how they would do it. At the last minute, of course, they decided they didn't have the budget for the snow, so they made it rain, which changed it. It lost my bloody thumbprint on a Christmas card feeling because it didn't look like the holidays. It was well cast, though. I knew I wouldn't be able to be involved with Snowbees because I was busy with something else about the time about the time they were ready to go. NBC originally wanted Snowbees written as a 90-minute movie. I did that, but when it came into pre-production, they came back and asked me if I could expand it to a two-hour movie. I did that. Then there was a horrendous cast change. I remember spending almost a day on the phone with the new actor, Bo Svensson. That's interesting. I'd really rather not say who the other actor was, ah! but I will tell you that he arrived on the set to play this part and inform the producers and director that he couldn't ski. He might have mentioned that earlier. Uh, when Bo came in, I talked with him for a long time, and he was okay. He got through it, and there was some good stuff in the movie. Sylvia Sidney was wonderful in it. I'd seen gorgeous Sylvia Sidney in Dead End as a kid, so it was something to have her in that movie that I wrote. So he seems to have uh, stronger memories of uh, Snow Beast. Um, what he doesn't mention, though, is that the director was killed by his um, illegal immigrant uh, housekeeper. Um, what? Yeah, uh, I can't remember the director's name now, but he was murdered, and I feel like she was... Uh, illegal alien that he and I feel like he was not very nice to her there's all you can find old newspaper articles about it it kind of it caused kind of a stir um but it's interesting to see here the most interesting part about this interview is one why he's not talking more about home for the holidays because it's amazing although it's interesting to say that he demanded snow and then they pulled out of that idea yeah. um and they kind of lost his luster for it I think which is too bad because I think it's better than the snow beast although I love snow beast um mm. but I think the most interesting thing is that Bo Svensson replaced somebody and we don't know who that actor is and I'm curious you think that was huh not Klugman Jack Klugman as, Jack Klugman said, of course I can ski. I don't know. Jack Klugman in Snow Beast would be really good. With Sylvia Sidney? That, that, I was going to say, because that was 77, and isn't that when Quincy started? Oh, no, Quincy started in 76. Yeah, Quincy. Or, oh, it, I okay. thought it was even before that, I thought. I think I think it's 76 you when might Quincy be right. started. You might be right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe he was like, um, I, of course I can ski. And then Glenn A. Larson called him up and said, I've got this show where you play a medical examiner. I'm going to tell these other people to F off. Well, and, do you uh, think I he can't. said, he said, of course I can operate. <laughs> of course, of course <laughs> I can do medical examiner stuff. Yeah, of course I can do it. But Nate, what do you think of this information? Is any of this new to you? Um, yeah, I didn't know about Home for the Holidays. And you know that's my favorite made-for-TV movie. Yeah. Yes, that's why I saved it for you. I just wish he'd kind of gotten more into it, but it sounds like he wasn't on the set at all. And also, I think that there's a misnomer here in that... I don't know if misnomer is the right word. I think I think Stefano wrote a movie for him earlier than Home for the Holidays, but I could be wrong. Who wrote oh. uh, A Taste of Evil? Give me a moment. I'll, I'll okay, why don't you guys look that up? Because um, I feel like that's an Aaron Spelling production, and I feel like John Llewellyn Moxie directed it, but I think I'm mixing up the screenwriter now that I think about it. It's somebody else. It's um, He's famous. I feel like he wrote a Hammer movie, maybe. Uh, I'm just killing time now. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, How is I'm everyone doing? <laughs> yeah, it's just going to take me a second. To, okay. Uh, all right, uh, I'm a uh, taste of evil. Here we go. Give me one moment. Okay. All right, can you hear Meryl Creek 
I can. Be, be kind to Meryl. Be kind to Meryl. Be kind to Meryl. Uh, no, that was Jimmy Sangster. That's who, what I'm thinking uh, of. I, I believe he wrote a lot of Hammer films. Yes, that's what I just said. Yes. So, so you see that Stefano, yeah. same three first letters. Sure. Oh. Moxie. It was a Moxie. It was a Moxie joint because uh, I wrote a double review of A Taste of Evil with The Strange and Deadly Occurrence, which were directed and written by the same two people, I think, and mm -hmm. are basically the same film, but one is more gothic and the other one's more kind of contemporary. But that's beside the point. So I wanted to thank Chris for sending this, and I want to apologize for uh, taking like a couple months to get to it. I, he also sent something on Feud, which we'll get to later, but um, I uh, really appreciate it, and I think it's nice that... Uh, he was thinking of us, you know, because he scanned yeah. these from his old issues and so that we would have some kind of information about Home for the Holidays. And I think he sent it because we talked about how there's so little information about the production yeah. that he wanted to help us out. And I think that this will be really good if we ever get to Snow Beast, and we will get to Snow Beast. Yes, I can't oh, wait. <laughs> so good. Here. So good. What, what, do you, what do you think we do? Oh, we'll talk about that later. I'm just... I don't know. I'll think of something. It would have been good with the Mud Monster, actually. But Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I, I just thought of another fun one. We can talk about it later. Okay. Okay, cool. So, uh, yay. Okay. So, yeah, why don't... May I just say one thing? Sure. In, in order to get to my Meryl... And I was doing it quickly because I knew it was in the Merrill. I had to move a book on my bookshelf called Are You in the House Alone? Oh, that's trash. It was, it was blocking my Merrill. It's trash. <laughs> but everybody it's should buy it. Trash. Everybody should buy it on Amazon. Um, okay, so um, before we get into uh, me giving some background on ABC After School Special, let me go ahead and play a promo for you so you can get a general idea of what we're dealing with here. On the next ABC After School Special, Cocaine. You four have been friends forever. It can kill a friendship. You think we should say something to Coach about it? I'm watching you come apart. It's like you're a different person. Someone told Coach she's got a drug problem. You did something you knew was right. That'll swim tattle tips. Tattle, when to tell on a friend. Okay, so I'm pretty sure this episode, uh, Tattle, when to tell on a friend, um, starred Tammy Lauren who, you know, was in I Saw What You Did, the remake, and a ton of other things, including, like, guest spots on Facts of Life and stuff. And the blonde girl from Kate Nally, who also starred in Shockma. Oh, I love Shockma. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? I think it's her name. Oh, is, yes. I think she might be Ari Myers, but I might be mixing her up with the other daughter. She's also in Jason Goes to Hell, um, but I can't remember if she's in the TV edit or if she's actually in the theatrical cut, because I've seen both. Mm -hmm. And um, and I know what's I know some of the stuff that's added into Jason Goes to Hell, but we won't go into that because I know that's not one of Nate's favorite movies. But anyway, um, <laughs> that shows you kind of like cocaine is like a hot button topic to talk about. Um, it's kind of shocking to think of cocaine in high schools, but it was the '80s, and Miami Vice was really prevalent. And I guess we were all snorting coke. And to be honest <laughs> with you, I went to school with a kid who at least claimed to do a lot of cocaine. Um, at our school. I don't know how true that was in retrospect, but at the time it sounded accurate. You know what I mean? Because um, I took them at face value. Uh, and so, I mean, drugs were prevalent in my school. Um, so the after school special, speaking of drugs, uh, was sort of like um, a way to bring up all of these issues in a way that was sort of palpable for both the child and the adult. So the series ran from 1972 to 1997. Um, 
the a season averaged six to seven episodes. Uh, the very first episode was actually called The Last of the Curlews, which was about, I think, endangered species, and it was animated. It won an Emmy for Outstanding Achievement in Children's Programming. The last episode to air in 1997 was something called Miracle at Trapper Creek, which I always call Miracle at Trapper John Creek. Um, because that's how my brain works. In 1993, TV Guide named it the best show for kids of the 1980s. Um, and, you know, it was so popular, several different versions of the ABC After School special emerged. Um, of course, there was CBS School Break, which uh, you may remember, and which I loved as much as I loved the ABC After School special. That was originally titled the CBS Afternoon Playhouse. Um, I'm not quite sure when it became the School Break special, but I feel like it was sometime in the early to mid-80s. Uh, then, of course, there was the ABC Weekend Special, which was wonderful, and that was usually adaptations of, like, young adult novels or, like, um, classic literature, like they did a Huckleberry Finn. And I tried to look it up yesterday, but I'm positive, positive that the ABC Weekend Special was the first time I saw a boy's butt because I have, a very, <laughs> I have a very specific memory of watching Huckleberry Finn or one of those Mark Twain adaptations, and there's two boys in it, and they're, like, swim, they're, like, skinny dipping, or something and they're somewhere near a lake or a body of water and they're running through the woods and you can't really see anything but I was I was the same age they were and if anybody else remembers this let me know because I can't find any evidence that there was actually like a little kid's butt on TV on Saturday in the late 70s but I'm positive I saw it and when I was doing my research I remembered it and I was like I'm pretty sure that's the first I always thought it was David Naughton in American Wolf in London <laughs> When I was 11, but apparently like two years before I saw somebody's butt. So I think my first guy's butt I saw was Dabney Coleman in Modern Problems. Oh, I don't remember that, but I did see Modern Problems when it came out. <laughs> Yikes. Okay. Oh, yeah. I think I won with David Naughton. No offense. Um, <laughs> no, yeah. And then there was something called the ABC Superstar Saturday Superstar Movie, which I don't remember at all, which was animated. They even did something called Love Cast USA, which was an animated version of Love American Style. OMG, I'm going to find it. Um, and then there was something that I don't remember at all called the NBC Special Treat, which actually ran from 75 to 86, which was, I think, supposed to be on par with the after school special. Do either one of you remember that? No. I don't know. No, I don't. Uh, so weird. Uh, I only kind of briefly researched it, but I feel like if this show ends up being successful and not the trash fire that I always make these shows, um, that we might want to do uh, like an after-school special-like episode annually, like we could do a CBS school break next year, because there's a couple really good episodes I'd like to discuss. Um, Kevin Thomas of the LA Times called the series Honest Sentiment, which I actually uh, agree with absolutely. I think that's a pretty good, concise way to sort of uh, summarize the series as a whole. Um, I saw that Lee Grant directed an episode. I think it was the Cindy Eller story. Yes, yeah, yeah. some time along, yeah, in the yeah, series. Yeah, that's a real good one. Um, I saw that when it originally aired, uh, but I actually wrote down Diane Baker had directed an episode called One of a Kind, which I don't think I've seen, and she's been in some episodes. Um, she had formed a production company because she was discouraged by the roles she was being offered at this time in her life. I think maybe it was the late 70s, early 80s. I'm not positive. She actually took parts on Love Bone and Fantasy Island to bankroll the production. And it was it was meant to be a classroom only educational film, but it sort of kept growing in scope, and so she uh, made it and then sold it to the ABC After School Special. And actually, I didn't realize this. I don't think ABC really bankrolled the After School Specials. I believe that they were independent productions, and you'll see there's a lot of different producers through the years. Uh, with uh, one guy whose name is Martin, I can never say his last name. I think it's T A H S E. 
um, who did the bulk of them. And if you buy the after school special box set that came out a few years ago, which is in that cardboard school box, all of those episodes were produced by him. Um, but he didn't do every episode. And so he may have overseen the productions, but they were gen I think they were generally considered indie. Um, and then ABC just aired them. That's my understanding of it, uh, which is kind of interesting. Um, in 1992, the after-school special did a mini-series of sorts with a three-part episode called Summer Stories, The Mall, which featured a then-unknown Georgia Fox, who would probably have just made Happy Hell Night at that time, because that came out in 92 as well, although I feel like that movie was started in the 80s and they finished it in the 90s. But anyway... I love that movie, and I, I, I don't want to question when it was made. Just love that it was made. I do, too. It's one of my favorite slashers. Um, it's and so much fun. I actually stood in line behind Georgia Fox at, in a bathroom in Hollywood and <laughs> and she turned to me to talk about how long the line was and I recognized her from Happy Hell Night and I almost said something and oh. I just I didn't want to bother her and then I was did I, you say like this is one happy hell night or something like no that? I, I wanted to just be like I love you in that movie but um <laughs> uh, you know and it was right before she got the CSI job so um it was sort of in between like being really amazing and then doing some kind of long-running TV series, whatever, right? So mm -hmm. um, anyway, so I want to give the show some cultural context because when I tried to research this, I found that, and it's fine, everybody watches things the way they want to watch them, but a lot of people watch these specials kind of ironically, and um, they they don't, I don't, I don't feel like they're necessarily approaching them the way I would approach them. And a lot of the articles are really like, how much can we make fun of these shows? And they're very easy to make fun of because if there was one show on television in the eras that I love that wore its heart on its sleeve, it was probably the after school special. Yeah. The, the after school special was the most earnest and I don't mean goes to camp or saves Christmas <laughs> earnest. I mean, earnest show. This is that one. Yeah, and so I feel like when I watch it, I watch it with these big white eyes like I did when I was a teenager and before I was a teenager, and I have a hard time. Like, yes, there's goofy stuff in it, you know, I get it, but um, and it's fine to, to point out funny things in films, but but a lot of the articles I felt were really disparaging, and um, and this was like a huge moment for us uh, if you grew up in the 70s and 80s. This had a huge impact on a lot of kids, and a lot of parents I know that are my age that have young children say that they wish they had a show like this for their kids. So I just kind of wanted to sort of um, give it a little bit of context. I found this article, and of course I didn't write down the name of it, but I'll put it in the show notes. It was an academic piece that was really interesting where um, the writer took two after-school specials and just kind of like talked about, and I'll get into her theory uh, in a little bit here, about how um, the shows that she had watched, the episodes she had watched, were actually about adolescents who had sort of been forced into a premature adulthood. And the whole goal of the, f of the episode was to set that right and go back to being a teenager and in a quote-unquote normalized teenage life. So I saw it as like, and Dan, you might relate to this a little better since you just went through the whole series, Voyagers. It's like they start oh, yes. in a space, and then that little that little watch they have has the little light on it, and it tells them something's wrong, and their goal is to get that light back to green. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of what these episodes were trying to do. So what they were doing I was that, that. Yeah. yeah, they were setting kids and in, 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 uh, being forced to be adults. And then mm -hmm. the kids didn't want that. They wanted to have their teenage years and their childhood years. And so they had to do something like take care of an alcoholic mother, take care of a dying mother. That was one that Carlin Crockett did. We'll talk about her in a little bit, um, called A Matter of Time. Um, all kinds of adult issues. And so their goal was to, like, fix it so that they could actually um, go back to enjoying their life the way they had known it. So I, this is a really interesting paper I read. So 
She gave some background on the after-school special, and she said, Not much programming at that time had been tailored for adolescents. The main target was actually 10 to 14, which is really interesting because in the late 60s, there was a new demographic that emerged, um, which was the 10 to 31, which is a really weird age group, but they were trying to appeal to, like, the subculture that was rising, and mm -hmm. shows like Then Came Bronson were meant to appeal to, like, a really <laughs> hip young audience. Do you know what I mean? Right. And they were starting young. Yeah. And um, and so I thought that was really interesting. Um, so here we're seeing this awareness of this new audience that's very, very young. Um, and uh, the shows usually aired around four or so. So so the hope was that the kids would be home and so would at least one parent. And then that way they could watch it together. And the shows were actually designed as a way to bridge the gap um, between the viewing audiences. Um, they used a format that actually combined anthology TV, the TV movie, the social hygiene classroom films, and the young adult problem novel, which I think is a pretty accurate uh, description of these. Yes, um, definitely. The family was usually at the center, but this time the family was often extended or non-traditional and could include friends or even teachers. Um, and like I said, this arose from educational films that were played in the classrooms and were actually meant to generate discussion. Um, one of the rules, so there's this book here that my friend Kayla Janice wrote called Kid Power. Kid um, Power. I've actually got that in my hand right now. <laughs> yeah, I have it over here too. I read her interview with um, with the producer that I just mentioned, whose last name I can never pronounce. And she wrote, um, I actually supplied some of the uh, TV Guide ads that are in the book. Special and, thanks, Amanda Reyes. Yes, and I did some uh, fact checking for her, but there wasn't much to fact check. Kayla knows her stuff. And so um, she did kind of a guide to the after school special. And um, and she interviewed that producer, and he talks about how there was only one rule to every episode, and that was that the child had to solve the problem. So the yes. ki the parents could guide you. You could get advice from older people, but the child always had to be the one to make the right decision, and they always did. And so in that way, kids could really relate to the show because they were seeing themselves, and then at the end they were sort of the hero of the story instead of like being swooped up by like, you know what I mean? A, a caring adult. So yes. that was really interesting. And so, like I said, her thesis was that young people were merging into a premature adulthood. And so they sort of had to go back to, they had to right the wrong and uh, go back to their normal teenage years. So, uh, and sometimes these movies were shown in schools. Uh, if you actually go on WorldCat and look up some of these titles, you'll actually find that they're 16mm prints of them. You'll find them on eBay, too. Um, and sometimes you'll see that they come with visual materials, meaning they come with study guides that were given to the teacher so that she could uh, direct discussions. And one episode in particular, which I just rewatched for the first time in, like, 30 years, was called A Very Delicate Matter, which is the VD episode that I remember seeing when I was like 10 was Zach Galligan. And that episode went to classrooms. And there are actually, if you look on WorldCat, you'll see that there are actually high schools that still have a 60 millimeter print of it. And it came with a study guide. And um, it's a really good episode. Uh, you know who's in it? Marta Kober from Friday the 13th Part 2. And she is horrible to her friend. Um... So her friend has sex with this guy at camp, and she catches gonorrhea or something Gon from him. Oh, that's the gonorrhea one. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And then all she right. goes home, and she has sex with Zach Galligan. So first of all, she's a teenager having sex with two different men or guys. And she gives him the disease, but she, she then finds out she has it. Like, she doesn't know at the time because she's got the signs, but she's not really, like, showing the symptoms. Or I guess she's not showing the symptoms, but whatever. So she's carrying it. And so she decides, like, she's going to wait to see if Zach Galligan notices, which is a really bad idea. Oh, and Marta Cover plays her, I can't remember who the girl is, but Marta Cover plays her best friend, and she's super judgmental. 
Like, she's horrible. <laughs> and she's, like, this environmentalist, and she's putting up, like, these posters, and she's like, so I'm having a rally tonight, and we're all like, um, just try not to give anybody else gonorrhea, okay? Like, she doesn't say that, but you know, like, her tone is like, please don't sleep with anybody else. And so, but it's a really good episode. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. I had, so, it sounds like someone I touched in an after-school special. Yes. Sort sort of. Sort uh, of. Yes, yes, absolutely. Without um, Kenneth Mars and, and Floris Leachman. It's probably more like Intimate Agony because it's more. Oh, feels... okay. I haven't seen that one yet. So I'm good. Waiting, I'm it's... waiting for our VD episode of Made for TV Manager. <laughs> it's on Amazon Prime. Um, I love. I've seen it several times. Uh, so, uh, so we have a friend of the show. His name is Gore Blimey. He does a podcast called the hey. Trilogy Trilogy of Terror podcast, which is excellent and. I was texting with him yesterday because I wasn't sure. So we have a lot of listeners from all over the world. And um, I'm not really sure how many of them know what the after-school special is. And he said that the, he doesn't think that there was really ever an equivalent to that in England. But he mentioned Grange Hill. Which was oh, like, sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah which was, seemed more like a yeah. soap opera. And I feel like it might have been more like Degrassi High. Because it was like a story arcs, you know what I mean? Like it was long running so, stories, yes. yeah, and yeah. and um and they dealt with stuff like heroin addiction and stuff like that. So in a way, it was approaching it. It was made for kids, and it was meant to sort of show sort of a darker side of high school, I believe. Um, but it wasn't really like the after school special, which covered probably two dozen more topics than Green yeah. Tail could have. Um, but that was the closest he could think of uh, that was like that. There is another show uh, called Press Gang, which did a lot of stuff, but it was, uh, I, I won't go into it, but it was a uh, um, little after Grange Hill, which was similar, but I think better done. Yeah, I really want to see Grange Hill. I've never seen it. So um, it looks good. I was doing some reading on it. But so if anybody's listening from another country, I hope that this makes sense to you, like what it was. It was really like directed at kids. It was marketed towards kids, but it was new to me reading this article yesterday that um, they actually wanted, they had it air later in the afternoon because they wanted parents to, at least one parent to be home so that it would encourage discussion. Something else I wanted to note and I forgot to mention was the reason why the ABC After School Special ceased to exist was because Oprah Winfrey basically killed it. Not intentionally, but her show was so popular and it aired on ABC affiliates that when they would when they would preempt it to show an after school special, they would get complaints. Uh, and you know what? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, you know, I, uh, I, I don't know when exactly the after school specials end, but I ended, but I worked in the mid nineties at a bookstore in Los Angeles when the Oprah Winfrey book club started. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. And the, uh, the insanity, uh, surrounding. Yes, I was there every, yeah, yeah. It, it would be, you, you'd be, you'd be i'd be doing my four to twelve shift at bookstar studio city bookstar studio city this is dan and and suddenly all these women would swarm in and be like what's going on i need this book i need this and they'd all be asking for the same book i was like what are you talking about and and the thing is most of them acted like they'd never been in a bookstore before and they didn't know how it worked well no offense no offense dan but it is bookstar it is Bookstar. Yeah, I was going to say, well, Bookstar, the Bookstar I worked in was an old movie theater. Yeah, I used to go by there. Um, I will tell you, somebody called the Borders. I worked at Borders, and somebody called oh the Borders, gosh. which is much like, better. Uh. And somebody called the Borders I worked at and said, can I ask you a question? And this would have been in, I think I was in L.A., maybe it was in Vegas, I can't remember. And I said, sure. And they said, do you know who Anne Rice is? And I said, I said, of course I know who Anne Rice is. And they said, well, I called Bookstar, and they'd never heard of her. Boom! 
Well, That's right. Um, yeah, That's I think it was probably a, you were in <laughs> Vegas for that one because I, I've never read an Anne Rice novel, but I know who Anne Rice is. Well, come they on. were they were lost, uh, but for but also I did have somebody come in and ask for the. Uh, the Angry Raisin by John Steinbeck, and I realized it was The Grapes of Wrath. It took me a while, but I figured it out. And I never um, had that one. I told him to go to another. I told him I sent him to Bookstar. I the 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 best thing I had happen in the Bookstar is when uh, Brett Butler was it Brett Butler with Grace Under Oh Twire? yeah yeah yeah. I dated a yeah. guy who was on an episode of that. Oh my god! Well, she she came in one evening at like ten thirty, and she had like four friends with her. And they were shopping, and she came up to me and said, um, isn't there a Starbucks down the down the street? And I said, yeah, about like four or five storefronts away. And she said, will you get me and my friends yes. some coffees? No. And she gave, she gave me a $50 bill. And you and never came said, back. And, and she said... Get me, get us some, and she she wrote down what they wanted. There were only like there were like five of them or so, and and any anything left over, you keep it. And it was like fifteen bucks, and I was like, oh my god, this is I need more. But I think she may have been a little drunk or or something, or 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 very happy at least. I don't I don't want. She was very excited about life, and and so I came back and I gave them all coffees, and I said, are you sure? And she said, keep it, and I was like. I'm pocketing like thirty five bucks. I'm, oh my god! Awesome. I w- we would not have done that. We turned down Michael Jackson. These are dueling bookstores. We turned <laughs> down Michael Jackson. He came to our store, and he wanted us to turn off all the security cameras. Oh, because he didn't want his kids photographed. And in retrospect, it wasn't that big of a deal, but it just seemed like such a weird request. And my boss at the time was like, "Ah." I don't feel right about this. I mean, it's just like, it's a weird request. And so she said, no, it was, she didn't say it to Michael Jackson. He was in the limo. We saw his feet, but, um, <laughs> that's all we saw of him. And, uh, and, but it was somebody who was in the car with him. Very nice guy. And, um, and they were fine with it, but, uh, and they left, but, um, we didn't do shit for famous people. <laughs> we just, there were so many of them. I mean, I'm always telling stories about people I helped well, that I, I normally would have uh, would have would have sort of passed on it, but when she she said, You can keep the change and she handed me a fifty, I was like yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I could use this. Yeah, All yeah, right. Yeah. For, oh, sure. So, for sure. For yeah. sure. So that she was doesn't nice. have anything to do with after school specials. No, but, but it is a lesson. It is a lesson. You got money and I didn't. And we thought we were being having higher moral ground with our employees, but look look, you ended up profiting from it. So You know what? I, I, I don't see that I took a higher low moral ground. I helped someone get their friends oh, cough. I wouldn't have done that. I would not have left the store. I would have been like, Fuck you, Brett. And that would have been the end of the conversation because we had to deal with so many pompous people because our store oh, was right yeah. on the adjacent to Beverly Hills and yeah, yeah. And, and Skid Row. And we weren't really sure <laughs> yeah. who, we were, who was going to come in, but a lot of people wanted, like, shoe shining, basically. And it's like, guess what? I'm, I make, like, eight bucks an hour. So, yeah. no, I'm not going to do it. I'll show you where a book is, but I'm yeah. not going to extend myself too far outside the store. Well, I'll, I'll just say one more thing, and we'll return to the specials. Okay. But I used to work at the video store next to the bookstore, and one day I'll tell you. I think I may have told you my Sherry Belafonte yes. Harper story. Yes, you did during the Midnight Hour episode. Yes, I did that one. But I also have a Bridget Fonda story, and a Frank Sinatra Jr. story, and a Gus Trichnosis, the director. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I think you told that that did one. I, did, that one you I, did because we did a movie that he made. I can't remember which one, but because I was talking about right. the evil, and you mentioned it. 
Yes, yes, okay. I'm repeating my stories, folks. I apologize. Back to the after-school specials. Okay, so why don't you go ahead and get us started with uh, Please Don't Hit Me, Mom. Oh, yes, Please Don't Hit Me, Mom. I'm sorry. There's no promos for these. I couldn't find any promos. Okay, so Please Don't Hit Me, Mom. Uh, what is the air date? It is... Um, uh, September 20th, 1981. Yes. Uh, it is director's Gwen Arner. The uh, It's written by... Uh, the the uh, what is it the uh, teleplay is Jerry Taylor who I know from lots of Star Trek and the um, uh, the uh, the story is Jerry Taylor and Sidney Julian. Mm-hmm. All right, and I, I won't go too long on this so we can get to the discussion. Um, but it's basically Nancy McKeon playing Nancy Parks. She mostly played characters named Nancy. <laughs> so like Jack, Jack, Jackie Chan plays a lot of characters named Jackie. Tony Danza. Yeah, exactly. Um, and she she's biking down the street. She's very tomboyish. I wish they would have let her be a little less tomboyish. I would have enjoyed that. But she's very tomboyish, and she ends up getting. Is it a frisbee or a football? Is it a? It's a football, right? I think she gets like she gets hit with something from a house, and she falls over, and suddenly uh, Sean Astin. Uh, young Sean Astin playing Brian Reynolds and a very tall and hunky Lance Guest playing yes. Michael Reynolds. Broad shoulder God. Yes. <laughs> and it's, oh my gosh, we're so sorry. But she's fine. She she was actually more startled than anything. And uh, they kind of chat for a bit. And so, oh, Mike uh, or Michael, you're you're going to you're new in town. You're going to this school. That's where I go. Oh, I'll see you tomorrow. Okay, that'll be great. And then Barbara Reynolds comes out, played by Look who's happened to Rosemary's baby herself, Patty Duke, as Patty Duke Aston in this one. Mm-hmm. And she comes out and she's very much like as she runs up to Brian, the, the child, and what did you do? And she grabs him and what what's going on? And then she kind of takes him into the house. And as Nancy and Michael are kind of flirting a bit, you cut then to Barbara being very... Um, please don't hit me, Mom. That should <laughs> suffice to what you're hearing. What happens at that point is you get sort of the story where you get um, Nancy and Michael. They sort of begin a relationship. Michael's on the basketball. Well, he, he gets on the basketball team, and he's very good. And Nancy's a writer, and she writes for the newspaper. And she's writing about him, and they gradually, like, it, they're having a wonderful sort of teen romance um, and Nancy has a really annoying friend who is, is it Judy? Oh, I can't uh, remember her name, but oh, what is that actress's name? She's so adorable. I want to say Dina Freeman. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, from, uh, uh, um, Too Close for Comfort. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And she is, um, she, she's got a very special voice that, um, is, I don't know, shrieky or squeaky. No, I don't know. I love I it. Oh, okay. It's awesome. I apologize. Let's, we'll edit that out. Um, so, so Nancy and Michael, they got this sort of relationship developing. And one of the things they're doing is Nancy needs money to buy a dress for the prom. So she is going to babysit Brian, the, uh, Michael's little, little, please don't hit me, mom, brother. Um, because Barbara, and these are a lot of names, which is Patty. Maybe I should just say the actor's name. <laughs> Patty, okay. Duke, P- Patty Duke. Patty Duke. Is she, they're divorced from dad. She hates dad. 
the kids don't seem to hate dad as much as mom does, but then we don't fully get what happened between mom and dad. Mom's has started her first job apparently uh, ever. I guess she's just been raising the kids as a telephone operator. My mom was a telephone operator when my dad died. So I know that was a lot of, that's a lot of craziness. Um, and, and she's very stressed and she's very like, uh, you get the feeling that she's sort of, she feels like she's, she's losing sort of life as it were. Well, she has like, and I don't know if you're going to go into it, but she has control issues. Um, like she's constantly dieting, but what she does is she just doesn't eat until she's starving and then she eats cookies. Yes. And, That's and she obviously has contr uh, control issues with her youngest and perhaps she had some with her oldest until he became six foot three. Yes, yeah, so you know he, he was too tall. Yeah, yeah. So, so, um, and and, and the the episode goes along, and and Nancy and Michael are developing their relationship, and we're seeing that Barbara is really awful to little Brian. How was your first day of school? Okay. Teacher, give you any homework? I forgot to bring home the book. Oh, Brian, what is the matter with you? You bring that book home from now on. Do you hear me? I brought you this. What is it? Brian, that is terrific. You know, you really have a knack for drawing. So that happens really early on in yeah. the episode, and that gives you a good idea of, like, the kind of spectrum of emotions that this little boy has to navigate through every day. Like, from everything's regular to, oh, my God, I'm going to beat the shit out of you to, oh, you're wonderful, like, in 30 yeah. seconds. And I, this is such a great scene because it's harrowing because yeah. who knows what's going to come out of her mouth or what's going to come out of her fist in, like, at any given yeah. moment. Exactly. And that's and that's as, as the episode goes along, Nancy becomes uh, um, obviously friendly with 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 michael but also very friendly with with brian and they and she's babysitting him she's making him meals and there there are uh and I, I won't go fully into these here but but there are little sort of moments where uh brian acts really odd to things that nancy is doing at one uh. point they're at a basketball game and nancy waves to a friend and she she raises her arm up quickly and brian throws his his arms up in front of his face and Nancy is like, what, what, why are you doing that? So upsetting. And, yeah. And eventually what happens is there's a mishap with some milk and he, Brian takes his shirt off to change his shirt and he's covered with bruises. How'd you like to come to school with me and watch uh, your brother play in his first basketball game with Madison High? No kidding? No kidding? Well, as soon as you finish your dinner. When I was your age, I used to spill my milk so much that my mom would only pour it in an inch at a time. I wish you were my mom. You already have a mom, Zoe. Now, come on, take off your shirt and I'll get you a dry one. Hey, come on, off with the shirt. We don't want to be late. Brian, what happened to you? I fell down. Must have been a pretty bad fall. I guess I'm pretty clumsy. That's what my mom says. Well, come on. Let's get this on. Gotta go cheer for Michael. That music does this scene no favors. First yeah, of all, no, the music <laughs> is a little off throughout. Yeah, I just noticed it listening to it. But, you know, like, it's so upsetting because 
she's too young to fully understand. Like when when he says he fell, she takes it at face value because she's just a teenager, you know. And what does she know about? She she is in a very supportive household with two parents, and like it doesn't even occur to her that this kid is getting the crap beat out of him every day, you know, at this point. And um and he's so timid, you know what I mean? And so that yeah. scene that scene that you mentioned the basketball game actually comes after this scene. And the first time I saw it, it just really... And I have no maternal instincts, so that's telling you either Sean Astin's a really good actor or Patty Duke is horrifying in this film. Because I was just like, oh my God, this is so upsetting. Like, any kind of sudden movement, and he's, like, bracing for, like, to get smacked. Yeah, yeah. And and um, uh, and I would like to declare myself the most insensitive uh, synopses guy on a podcast right now. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, so so they, they go... And... and she she more or less uh, Nancy more or less sort of realizes holy crap B- B- Brian's mother is is beating him, and and she doesn't know what to do so she goes to talk to her parents who are the most sort of they're they're almost like I don't know some sort of stoic like gods or something they just <laughs> kind of sit there and she says oh my god I need to I need to talk about this I need to do that and they're like. Do you think that's what you need to do, Nancy? If you think that's what you need to do, you need to do that. And the, but the first thing she does, which is very nicely done, is she goes to Michael, Lance Guest, who has asked her to the prom, and they're all excited and giddy, and says, do you know that this is going on? And Michael basically says, get out of here. I'm not going to the prom with you. I thought that I, I was just imagining things, because if that were going on, you'd know about it, right? Yeah, I guess. And you do something about it. Look, look, you're making a big deal about it, okay? Just drop it, all right? Well, are you saying it's okay, then? Brian's not being hurt? Michael, did you see those bruises on him? Oh, for crying out loud. This is just like in Oak Ridge. Everybody's making a big deal about a couple of bruises. You mean this was going on before when you lived in Oak Ridge? Look, can we just get off it? You knew this was going on all along? Maybe you ought to think about it from my mom's point of view, all right? She's got it kind of rough right now with the new job and the move and everything. She's under a lot of pressure, so she gets upset. But, Michael, maybe, maybe that's why she needs help. She doesn't need help, especially not from you. None of us need your help, Nancy. Just do your job and get off our backs. You leave me alone, leave my mom alone, and you flat out forget about going to that dance because I don't want to have anything to do with you. Oh, mic drop, man. Like, oh. like the second you get denied by Lance Guest, your whole world falls apart. It just <laughs> well, does. It's science. I, well, I will say this is as much, you know, I have emailed you tomes about how much I love Lance Guest. <laughs> but Michael is in the wrong on this oh, one he, and Nancy is he, in the right. He is, but the dynamic is really important because yes. I think it's really interesting that they have a family um, unit where where the older brother doesn't know what to do. And so his best way to help out is to ignore it basically. And I feel like that's probably a pretty realistic approach to, I felt that too. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I hate to denigrate. Yeah. 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 But I feel like, I feel like when you're that age, he's just a teenager himself and he just wants to live like we were talking about in that sort of normal teenage world. Mm -hmm. 
And he can't because everything at home is terrifying. And you always hear these stories about like, like a, a good example would be like, well, I don't know if that's a good example. This might actually be a good example to back Michael. But like on my soap opera, there's a storyline right now with a girl who um, came up in a really abusive home where like her father was like a drug dealer. And he was basically like letting his friends have their way with her or starting to. And so oh. she ran away and her whole intention was to kind of get set up and then get her younger sister. Now her younger sister has been pulled into a sex trafficking ring because she couldn't get to her. And so um, that probably backs Michael more than, than the other thing. Cause I think the stereotype is actually the opposite of that. The stereotype is we see is like the older kid wants to be super protective. So they start taking on all these responsibilities. Well, I'll do it. Or, you know, this and that. But, like, in this story and maybe in the story on my soap with Tess and Crystal, um, you kind of don't know what to do. So it becomes about protecting yourself first. Yeah. Because that's probably the easiest approach to take, especially when you have a very limited life experience with that sort of thing. And so I think that the Lance Guest character is really interesting. And, and I don't know that the film would be as effective if they had written him differently and or <laughs> had they not had him at all. Yeah. No, I, I agree that that part of the the um, the sort of wonderful dynamic I, I not wonderful and like this is wonderful, but but wonderful dynamic is that like uh, like like it was like Nancy said, wait a minute, you knew this was going on. And so now it literally comes down to Nancy having to decide, do I report this or do I let it go? And. I don't know if I should go further on this because well, I'm sure we'll. Is are we? Can you spoil an after-school special? I don't well, know. I want to mention. We'll probably talk about the ending, but I know Nate wants to talk a little bit about the scene where Michael finally does stand up for his little brother, and he, he takes him out of the house, and he's like, "We're just leaving, and got, we just have our backpacks. We don't have clothes for tomorrow, and we're gone. And I'm going to go to this diner." Where there's no other customers, and I'm going to buy you oh, some hot yes. chocolate. And Nate, what happens? Um, they run into the rudest waitress <laughs> I've ever seen. So, yeah, they're sitting at the diner, and I mean, obviously they were finished with their meal, or you know, they were just they were they were just hanging out. And the waitress comes up, and you know, she's just talking like, "Oh, you know, we could be using that booth for paying customers." And I agree with Lance Guest. He's like, "Yeah, there's so many in here, or something like that." Because I was like, "There's nobody else in that restaurant. <laughs> nobody. She's got no reason to be rude." And I would, if I'd already paid, I'd be like, "Can you bring that check back? Because your tip is about to get scratched off." <laughs> How dare you speak to me that way? <laughs> you needed to be there, Nate. Oh, well, yeah. see, I was already like, my adrenaline was already kind of uh, high up because. Like when uh, Lance Guest actually grabs her hand yes. to stop her yeah. from slapping. I mean, that was such an intense moment. And I'm like, they, you know, uh, coming from that and then going to this diner, I guess, where they're trying to like decompress from that very stressful situation and they have to deal with, you know, some very, very rude person um, that's very uncalled for. <laughs> I was like, it, I remember I'm remembering the Brady Bunch episode. Do you guys remember the one where the kids make Alice feel unwelcome so she yes. leaves and goes to work yes. at a diner? Oh. I'm like that's the kind of server they should have gotten. Yeah. Somebody like <laughs> Alice who's super nice mm -hmm. or Sandy um, from Friday the 13th. Yeah, I think Sandy is a good uh diner 
waitress yeah, as well. This She's woman very... is the anti-Sandy. Yeah. yeah, she was. Yeah. It's funny because I actually thought of Friday the Thirteenth as well when I was watching this. But <laughs> just to go back real quick to that scene you were talking about with the slap, the potential slap. Something I thought was really interesting about the casting of Lance Guest um, is that he is a big guy, and Patty yes. Duke is a very small person. I think she's even smaller than I am, and so like the juxtaposition of those two. Yet she was running that household on fear. Yeah. And so when we were talking about the dynamic of the family, I thought it was so fascinating because he could have easily have done that several times, but he, they had been through so much and so much like they were worn out, right? And so like he just put up with it and, and yet he could have destroyed her easily. Oh, well, it is it is the sort of the thing where Nancy has sparked him and he's he's she's she's about to hit Brian again and he's going out the door. And I didn't actually mention this, folks, but this is the end here. We didn't want to spoil the end. We took it up to the end where Nancy was. Is she going to call and report her or not? Now we'll go there. But uh, it's a Michael Lance guest is walking out the door and he's literally like at the screen and he's about to step out and she's about to hit Brian. And he just turns and comes back in and stops her and pulls his brother out of there. And it's like. Yes, well done. And then and then things are kind of strange structure-wise where yeah. all these things pile up on Barbara at the same time and you start to – or at least I started to feel a lot of sympathy for her. And then they do a sort of wacky thing in the end where everyone converges at the last moment, which you didn't think would happen. But I guess I've seen Jerry Taylor's uh, – a few of Jerry Taylor's Star Trek episodes and, and she does a good job. So, you know. I think uh, I think she's on it. So. Well, I don't. I have mixed feelings about the ending. I think because they okay. do pile so much up, and then she's like, "Yeah, I do need help. Thank you." Mm. And I know that they had to do because they had to wrap it up in forty-five minutes. Um, mm. But like, it just played out so neatly at the end that it felt so different from the other parts of the film that were so messy but i do agree that she's a sympathetic character in a way because and that's important too because she's not a very nice person with her children but she has a lot of problems and so they try to like give her there's some compassion for her in her situation and and i think that that's important because people are both good and bad so like yes. um is it the bluest eye by tony morrison there's a there's yes a, yeah. you know the little girl in that gets raped by her dad and there's actually, like, chapters in that book where he seems like an amazing guy, like when he's romancing the mom in the flashback sort of sections of the book. And a lot of people struggle with that because he's basically, like, just raped his daughter. And yet I think it's important because it's obviously an abhorrent act, something I would never forgive if he was a real person. And I would never want to spend any time with him as a person. But we have to understand that people start at one point and end up somewhere else. Yeah. And and Toni Morrison does that and she does it without like fear. You know what I mean? Of what she yes. might be writing. And so um and I'm not saying that this goes into the blue side territory, but I think they are trying to like show that like Patty Duke isn't all evil. I was gonna say the thing with Barbara, which is Patty Duke's character, is they they have the thing when she comes home from her first day at work and Nancy is there and she says Nancy says, How was your day? Oh, it was so I forget. I forget if she says it was awful, but she says it was so exhausting. I didn't think just doing this could be so exhausting. And it's like you already got the feeling that she was exhausted, and now yeah. she just discovered that doing a job 
is exhausting too. And it's it's like and you get the feeling like when 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 Michael goes out to do something uh, uh, that it's sort of like you're going out to enjoy your life and I'm sitting here making sure you guys have a home and food and I am miserable. And the yeah. the miserableness which is not a word but bear with me is making her take it out on the only person she can take it out on, which is horrible. But the fact that they, they go into that is, I, I thought, much more sort of um, complex than I yeah. I remember these being. And I, I think I think probably what a lot of people actually remember them being. So, Yeah, I agree with that. This is a good question. So, Nate, how did you feel about Patty Duke through the episode? Um, well... I would say I did not really care for her through much of the episode. She was not the Patty Duke that I know and love. But, um, I mean, at the end, yes, I mean, they they try, you know, they, they kind of painted her in a more sympathetic light. And I get it. But to me, my problem is exactly what you both said. I do understand they had to wrap it up. But it was much too neat. It felt very unrealistic that it was hard for me, I guess, to get that sympathy for her and it would have taken everything in me if I was in Nancy's position not to slap her. Yeah, that yeah. was but shocking, wasn't it? Yeah, when she I hits. was so surprised when she hit her and I was like, oh like I, I mean and, and it was interesting because part of me did kind of want Nancy to like slap her back, but then I'm like, well no, because violence is obviously not supposed to be the answer in this after school special. So it should not happen that way. But I don't know. There was just this weird, like, you know, urge to be like, oh, she should get a taste of her own medicine. <laughs> now, Nate, can I ask you a question? When, when, um, what did you think about the fact that um, she was, uh, Patty Duke's character was never sort of, um, uh, up until that point, apologetic for slapping the crap out of her son, but the moment she hits Nancy, mm. she apologizes immediately. Is she doing that because... Well, I mean, both of them are illegal, but like when you hit someone who's not your young child, you might be able to not get away with that. As I think it kind of shook her up that, yeah. that she did it because I think she didn't think of herself that whole time as yes. like being out of control. And yeah. when I think she was trying to maybe think of it as disciplining her son, but I mean, slapping somebody else totally out of anger, I think kind of shocked her enough, I yes. guess that was supposed to be her wake up call. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. how I saw it too, because it was, I think you're right the way you said it, because there's something, whether you like it or not, when we grew up in the 70s and 80s, there was something like you could spank your kid and not think twice about it. But you weren't going to just walk down the street and spank somebody. <laughs> well, maybe you would, depending on where you lived and, you know what I mean, But like, what you were into. But, like, you just don't do that to anybody else on the street. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. I think that was, like, a wake-up call, like, the fact that she was now starting to, like, do that to just people that weren't yeah. even associated with their family. You know what I mean? And it's, it's, so, it's so tricky with Nancy, too, because she is a... a just she is just she is trying to help and and i think barbara realized that but she's put herself in such a uh pit or a hole that it's like what do you do to someone like this you hit them that's what you do and it's it, yeah it's it's i my my only worry at the very end i mean 
I'll be honest, when the credits began to roll, my eyes, I, I welled up a bit. How could Aww. you not? How could you not? Oh, well, well, maybe you two couldn't, but I, <laughs> maybe I'm a jerk. I don't know. But my eyes welled up a bit. But I also did sort of like, Nate, you do your after the credits on Hysteria Continues. And my worry is that I thought what's going to happen after the credits yep. is, is, is Barbara actually going to get proper help? Or is this just going, is this just a, and I don't think, to be honest, I don't think this is actually something I should have thought of at all during this. Cause I don't think that's the point of the episode. Um, but, but I, I, I just get the, get the feeling like Barbara is going to be good for about four or five days. And then uh, Brian, and the thing about Brian, he's a sweet little kid, but he is, I don't know, ex- hapless to the extreme. Well, it was because he's terrified. I mean, like Th- that's that's true. That no, that's true. But but the way they do it is like, I, and I, it's like there, there's there's that scene, uh, the the scene with the shirt where he's he's eating a meal and there's a glass of milk right in front of him. And the moment it began, I thought, he's going to knock over that glass of milk. When's he going to knock over that glass of milk? And they, they sort of they sort of make him almost... And there's that, that bit where he's walking along a curb on a puddle and he drops his book into the puddle. That's and it's like, right. Why are you on that curb? You know, it's like, I, well, I don't... he's a kid. Kids drop their books all the time. He does everything that other kids do, but he's punished horribly for it. So, and he's super withdrawn, and and I think it just makes him clumsier because he's so self-conscious of everything he does that he overstates everything. And then, but at the same time, he's just a kid, you know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I, no, I, I think, I think, I think you're right in that there, there hits a certain point where you feel like you might be punished for anything you do, and then you sort of, just sort of whether you like it or not, things just happen and you yes. don't, you know, you just, yeah. And yeah, no, no, I can see that. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's, um, no, I, I, it cause when I was watching it, I just kept thinking, Oh, don't do that. Brian. Oh, Brian move that bo- glass of milk. Oh yeah. Well, we're I, adults we, though, you know, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But, um, but I had the same thoughts you did afterwards and something I would have liked to have seen is like if they did like a sequel to it or had expanded it to two hours because I think for an abusive parent, it's not like you just you get some help and they're like you shouldn't do this. Here's an organization and then you just stop beating your kids. I mean, there's an urge inside you. You have to fight all the time, you know. And not only that, but she has really weird personality traits because of like that thing where she starves herself. She has control issues that go deep and they just it comes out violently. And I don't know that they would go away instantly and I think you're right there'd be a few days there afterwards where she might be relieved that somebody's looking in on her and helping her but there's going to be problems that just come because everybody has problems and she's going to have to figure out how to not beat the shit out of her kid when that happens and I I don't know enough about abusive parents to respond properly but I feel like it is like a real long struggle with them yeah. so or an abusive husband it, it like let's say on the rare occasion, because I don't know how many abusive husbands actually reform, but like let's say somebody does honestly try it. I think there's a lot of falling back into old patterns, mm-hmm. and yeah. and and yeah. you have to be really careful of that. So I had those very thoughts that you did, especially because the end was so neat and mm-hmm. quick that I thought there's no way they could have solved this problem, yeah. or they would have done yeah. it before they moved there. Yeah, I feel yeah. like there's a made-for-TV movie where John Ritter plays an abusive husband that reforms. 
Ooh. Oh, wow. I feel like there is a movie like that. I feel like I've seen it, but it's been a really long time ago. But I really do think there's a movie where it's it's about him, like, you know, and, and he goes through therapy and he actually reforms at the end. It's, uh... Yeah, I, I mean, that's... This is really compelling and perfect for kids because it shows the options that they have. And also another scene I want to mention that I think is really important in the way that they conducted it was when they go on a field trip to the hospital and they're in the children's hospital. Oh, yes. And yeah. Nancy McKeon's with her friend, and I think Lance Guest is there. And, um, and the doctor is talking about the statistics of child abuse and but they do it in a very conversational tone so you feel like you don't feel like you're getting these all these facts thrown at you but you're mm-hmm. really learning a lot about like the plight of the abusive child and it's so beautifully done and then she goes and she gets help from the doctor later like uh, Nancy shows up and the doctor kind of guides her a little and then she gives her some more statistics and but they do it in such a way and the after school special was the king of this where they're feeding you a ton of information about that topic but doing it in a way that you feel like you're just watching two people talking and then before you know it, you're like, oh, my God, 1.2 million kids do this. You know what I mean? And so it's so interesting. And I feel like the whole episode is a really good guide for probably for abused kids or for people, maybe more so for people who are worried that they know somebody who's being abused. And um, what and that there are options that you can go to. And, she, and Nancy goes to a few of them, her parents, Child Protective Services, the hospital. So, like, by the end of the episode you have a clear idea that there are places you can go if you have questions, mm-hmm. you know? And so so it's a really well-done episode, except for maybe the last minute. And But I don't know, like you said, if it's so important that we necessarily go past that. But I do think that there's room for the struggle to be explored as mm-hmm. well. You know what I mean? And I, I also wonder if um, using the, uh, the uh, sort of... Um, the way that that guy, I forget his name now, the the guy who was interviewed in, in Kid Power, where he says it's about the teen yes. learning how to, is, and I, I hate to say it, but is it almost more like it's about Nancy uh, stepping up and doing the right thing? And, uh, you know, and, and, um, th- that's not obviously more important than the, uh, oh, what, what's happening. Saying with the Reynolds, but, but is it almost more about like saying to teens or, or young kids, you know, like if you see something bad going on, you step forward and you, you try to stop it or speak out about it. Sure. And that's, and that's, that's sort of the, that, that's why it ended so pat because she did it uh, and something is going to happen. I see. Yeah. And, you know, that's a really good point because in, in the experience of the person outside of the home, they've kind of done what they needed to and all that they can. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I, that, that was just the thought I, uh, um, because like I said, when I got to the end of the episode, I had some tears in my eyes and then they kind of focus on Nancy for a couple of shots. Uh-huh. And I thought, is, is this, I mean, obviously what's happening with the Reynolds is, is the awful thing. But is this meant to be saying, yeah, like I said, saying to teens, if you see something bad happening, yes, try to stop it, do what but, you can, stop it. Because that's a lot of what the episode is. It's her arguing with herself, yeah, sort of, but, shouldn't, shouldn't I? Let's be honest, the really horrible thing would be if Lance didn't re-ask her to the prom. That's true. I hadn't thought of that. And you know what? He does, doesn't he? Does he? 
he does, doesn't he? he? That's an after the credits question that I need an answer to right now because <laughs> if she doesn't get to go to the prom with him, I'll be heartbroken. Well, well yeah. yeah, I mean, and uh, all was forgiven by him because he knew that she was right. He does yeah, like strong it, women too. So that's kind of an interesting too. Let's let's talk about that for a second. So, like, he's got this. I don't want to say his mom is strong because she's not, but he's attracted to strong women because she's the sports writer at the paper. And you remember when he asked her at the beginning what she does, and she said she wants to be a sports writer, and he goes, "That's all right. That's okay." You know, and you can tell he's really impressed with her as a person. Yeah, and it's kind of I interesting. I am too. I am too. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's Anthony McKeon. I mean. <laughs> She's Joe fucking Polnicek, you know. And if that had been Joe Polnicek, Patty Duke would have been destroyed. That would have been the end of her. Flat on the ground, done. Oh, my God. Her motorcycle oh, would have yeah. gone over that and head. She, she would have hit the ground and the rest of the gang, Blair and Tootie and, and Natalie, would have rushed in and swarmed on her. And, yeah, don't yeah. forget there was an episode where she hit Blair. I don't remember that. What episode is that? Really? It was the one uh, with Blair's sister who was going to be a nun. And then I think Joe was going to uh, – was thinking about joining her, and Blair thought it was really stupid. And she kept kind of mocking it, <laughs> and at one point, Joe, like, punched her, I think. Oh, my God. You know, I have every episode of The Facts of Life. So I've mm-hmm. been watching The College Years because there's something about College Years, say by the Bell, that I really love. So um, I'll have to go backtrack. I don't remember ever seeing a sister of Blair's, but I know she has siblings. Yes, she's coming. She comes back into town, and the whole thing is she's going to be a nun. And Blair's, I think, kind of against it. I think that's the episode where we find out Blair's an atheist. Oh wow! Did Joe? Did Joe say uh, I'm going to have none of that? <laughs> I think Amanda, that would have been Amanda's a good pun. the best. <laughs> I made myself laugh. It's my joke of the week. All right. Was, was that? Oh yes, yeah, you need your own jingle. I best, do. That wasn't a two-parter called Best Sister, was it? I think so. It was a two-parter okay. because, of course, Joe has to apologize because, I mean, she. That's a whole other episode. <laughs> That's a whole other episode. But um, so yeah, the the uh, relationship between Nancy McKeon and Lance Guest was was really good. But I just it occurs to me like he was really impressed with her, you know, and he wasn't very disparaging of her. The fact that she was sort of doing what would be typically considered in 1981 sort of a man's job. You know what I mean? And she seemed to understand sports. You know, when he mm-hmm. was talking to her, she knew her way around the conversation very well. And it's nice, too, because it's like she has that point where she's like, okay, I got everything I need from you sort of thing where it's like she she's in charge of it. She she knows yes. what she's saying. So, but yeah. she can't ask him to the dance, though, right? Oh, she almost does. does. I know that. I've been there. so I. I but I, I mean, for a girl exactly. to even get that far is like amazing because I would never have done that in high school. Oh, or man. now, <laughs> I especially don't do it now. But like, um, uh, yeah, no, no, she's impressive. Yeah, yeah, she almost does it, which is more than I mostly did during high school. So no, you just kind of hoped something would happen. Mm. Well, you you always I always kind of hoped that um, the gal would look at me and go, "Are you asking me to the prom?" And I could be, like, "Oh, thank God, yes, I am." Phew. I didn't have to say it. Oh, gosh. Yeah. No, my, I think I already had this conversation. My mom set me up with my prom date. So. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah, and I think I've already told that story. And it was wonderful. He was a really good guy. So it worked yeah. out. Um, but, yeah, and that was easy because he knew I was going to say yes because I was madly in love with him. And he was, and I ne- he didn't go to my school. He was out of school. So he'd never have to see me again anyway. But didn't he contact you to try to, he, when are we getting together again? Then I ran into him New Year's Eve on downtown. I used to go downtown every every new year's eve and try to make out with guys 
<laughs> I was <laughs> I was pretty successful, by the way. Um, and so because it was New Year's Eve, it was New Year's Eve, and so um, I ran into him. He was also downtown, and he's like, "You should call me. We should do something." And I was like, "Sure," but he was so cute. I just couldn't like bring myself to do it. You know what I mean? Plus, he was older than me. I was like seventeen, and he was like twenty-two or twenty-three. Gravy. Yeah, and so it just was like kind of. Although I was already dating twenty-five-year-olds, and I don't know what I'm talking about. Sure, I just, of, course, <laughs> of course. I did. I dated two twenty-five-year-olds when I was seventeen. But um, he was <laughs> he was really cute and, and nice, and I think maybe I may I maybe nice threw me off. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, I I'm gonna say uh, I on on uh, when we discussed Joni Love Chacha and eventually Super Train, I kept saying, oh, one episode I keep. I kept saying that we should do a podcast called Amanda admits where you talk about <laughs> your life. A lot. And I, well, hello, hello. So, but let's get back to, please don't hit me. Mom. Yes, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get derailed, but it's oh, just no, the, the okay. whole dating yeah. in high school thing was very, it was a tough, tough waters to navigate. Lance did it better than any of us in both of these specials. First yeah. of all. Um, and I'm not surprised to be honest, but um, yeah, I thought it was really good. It, it was different than I thought it was going to be. It's, it's dark. Um, and there've been, there've been, so this is, like I said, this is not an actual school special really, but, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but like, um, there's some dark episodes, but this one kind of goes places that I wasn't expecting. I think that's because we talked about the complexity maybe of Patty Duke. And, um, I think also there's that dynamic of the fact that it was her real life son playing her son. Yes. And so this idea that they made this together, it, and he, he's this abused kid is like, and I'm I don't I'm not saying anything happened. I don't th- I think she loved her kids and nothing like that ever happened. But I mean, like to have your child in his first film or acting role play your abused son is like I think there's a layer there that adds something to the film, like a meta layer. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um and it's it's kind of like hard to watch those scenes because you know that they're real life mother and son. You know, so it was a tough one, but I enjoyed it for the most part. I thought they handled it really well um, in 45 minutes. They managed to tell a pretty good story, and you got to know the characters really, really well and like them and understand them and not maybe not like all of them, but like and root for them and, and want the best at the end. And so I think it was for 45 minutes of TV programming, they did a pretty good job. Yeah, I agree. I um, Yeah, I was uh, – yeah, I hadn't watched uh, – well – Obviously, this didn't air originally as an after-school special, but it did air yes. as one. Um, but uh, I didn't watch one of these in a while, and I thought I thought it was really nicely done. I mean, it's um, um, you know, I I I don't know if I'd say there were surprises in it, but I, I did like how much time they did spend with Nancy debating over whether or not it was her right to sort of report. Mm-hmm. on on what was happening and i loved her parents like i said i i can't i can't say enough great things about them because there's even a moment when she when she calls child support services and like her dad's like way in the background and he sort of rises up and moves towards her and says more or less like you did the right thing that's and right it's sort, of, it, it's sort of like they're they're um uh, um they don't want to say Oh hell, yeah, you got to report this. I mean, that's awful. They 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 are calm and they they are um they're like they're they're like more sort of intelligent and wise versions of like 50 sitcom parents or something like that, you know, where they're like, you know, mm-hmm. they're like they know what should be done 
and they're sort of helping guide their daughter towards it. And I really like that. And um, whether or not, you know, like I said, the ending made me tear up and, and I think it's a little too pat, but again, I don't quite know how else it could have ended. Um, I mean, apart from like the cops storming in or something like that. So, um, so I've been watching a lot of these and I recently watched uh, Portrait of a Teenage Shoplifter. That came out in 1981 and um, I saw it when it originally aired and I had I've thought of this special for years and it's finally become available online and so I watched it. I sat down and um, it has an ending that I could not believe and I can't believe I forgot it. But talking about like this sort of police storming in kind of thing, it's got like this what? And it's it's got a real dark ending. And this chose light instead of the dark. Yes. And so that's kind of an interesting contrast um, of the two. But um, Nate, what do you think of this episode? Um, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, well, is enjoy the right word? Um, <laughs> I mean, I thought it was a, a interesting look at uh, child abuse from the after school special angle. Yes. Oh, and that John Ritter movie is called Unforgivable. From nineteen ninety six, he plays a man who is uh, batters uh, his wife, who's played by Harley Jane Kozak hmm, from oh, House on Sorority Row. Yes, I love her. So um, wow, I, I feel good that that existed, and I didn't just bring that up. <laughs> I'm so glad that you figured out what it was because I want to watch it. Not having a ton of experience with after school specials, I don't think Nate like or memories. Does this? Did this seem of? I don't know if evocative is the right word. Did it remind you of the after school specials? Like, or did it feel different than what you remembered? No, it felt exactly like an after school special to me. Yeah. Even yeah. being wrapped up, you know, um, you know, it kind of reminds me of when sitcoms would do a very special episode and all the problems yeah. would be wrapped up by the end of the episode. I think you talked about once and it's not, it's not really a sitcom, but uh, the Brady's in the nineties, there's like an episode where Marsha's an alcoholic and it lasts for one episode. <laughs> I thought she was an alcoholic through the whole thing. Was she? Oh, okay. I just felt like it was one of those like one shot things. Well, they the the Bradys. We should maybe think about covering the Bradys. The Bradys went cray cray, like you know, because Bobby was paralyzed. Do you remember that? Yes, I remember that because he was going to be a race car driver. He was one. Yes, and that was actually really consistent from the Christmas movie. I think we probably talked about that in the Christmas episode. But um, that there was some consistency between the movies and the um and the series, which is kind of nice. But um, yeah, I mean, like there's so many of those very special episodes that was so prevalent in the '80s, and I guess maybe this is a precursor to that because this is so early into the '80s. Um, but yeah, it kind of has that tinge to it, which might be why people tend to watch these things kind of ironically. But I think that's unfair because it was obviously that a lot of heart and thought went into making this and the acting is really good. And I think this is one of Lance Guest's first roles ever. And, um, I would never have guessed that watching it, you know, he's so good in it. Um, Patty Duke, of course, is good in everything. And, uh, she was, um, the critically, so critically, it was pretty much received the way we've received it in that, uh, like what I just said, people really liked Patty Duke, but the ending really threw a lot of people off because it just kind of like has this two minute ending where they're like, Hey, I'm better guys. And, um, and I feel like maybe it's gripping enough that you, you want to see more of the process of what happens afterwards. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's kind of a sign of how good it was until that point, I think. Yeah, I think I think I really would have loved it if it if it 
I had either had a sequel or or like the next fifteen minutes of, of yeah. drama because because I think when I watch it, it's it it in one way it's satisfying, but in another way it's like oh gosh, you know, that's like like an addict or an alcoholic like saying, okay, I'm done, you guys, I'm gonna wrap it up now. Yeah. Thank you so much, and you're like, are you really? Mm. You took the first step, but. You know, like the second step is going to be just as hard. Kind of yeah. Thing. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I want to do a little trivia, though, so we can move on to the next one. Of course. So, um, so I've already talked a little bit about this, and you actually hit on the stand. So Gwen Arner directed it. Um, she was an actress as well, and she was married to Donald Moffat, which I thought was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was a production done by women, which I thought was really interesting as yes. well. Um, you don't see that a lot, especially back in the early 80s. Uh, this was Sean Astin's TV debut, as we said. It aired in the 7 p.m. time slot under something called Theater for Young Americans, which also aired The Wave. Does anybody here remember The Wave? That was so amazing. And um, Stoned with Scott Bayo, I think. And it ran on the same night as a special called Get High on Yourself, which actually kicked off a week uh, of anti-drug programming. And I'm only now becoming familiar with this Get High on Yourself thing, so I need to research that. Um, like I said, it had mixed reviews. Um, people really liked Patty Duke, but overall they just felt like it just kind of could have ended maybe a little, maybe the com- more complexity at the end. Um, and that was really all I could find about it. The production history of this is pretty um, scant. So uh, there you go. That is Please Don't Hit Me, comma, Mom, exclamation point. Which had a VHS release, by the way. It did, yeah. Yeah, so I was kind of interested. That's crazy, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of neat. Um, so I guess what I'm going to do is I'm going to play a promo for a Lance Guest uh, after school special that I couldn't seem to get access to, even though I had seen it just in the last few years, called One Too Many. I don't know if either one of you looked that up, but it's pretty famous because it was directed by Peter Horton from 30-something, and it also starred Val Kilmer, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Mayor Winningham. So it had like an all-star cast, mostly before they were really famous, although I think Lance Guest was pretty established at this point. He was probably the most famous person in it at the time that it aired. And we talk about it in the interview that's going to be on my blog. But this is another one that I believe was an after-school special, but it ended up running in prime time. Um, and here's the promo for it. Tonight. I can tell you what happened. Hey, Tim. That was great. Oh, how would you know? You're always too drunk. Beth, what is your problem? Nobody knew it was going to happen. It was only some drinks until one mistake made it one too many. At 8, 7 Central, tonight. The What I liked so much about One Too Many, well, it's a really weird episode. It's very, um, I don't even have the words to describe, like, the way it's directed. It, it's, it's unique to me, the way it looks and the kind of the way the dialogue is structured. Um, but it also has kind of a shocking ending. And I'm trying to remember if I'm remembering it right, because I feel like it it starts at a certain point and then it flashes back to how they got to that point. And then you see like what exactly had happened and it's kind of a horrifying ending. Um, but there's something about my memory of the way the dialogue is delivered that's really interesting. I think it's maybe more artistic than some of the other after-school specials. I, I Don't quote me on that, but that's my memory of it. Um, and I wish it was available somewhere, but I couldn't find it anywhere. Um, but anyway, Lance Guest is like sort of the straight-shooting friend to Val Kilmer in that. And I believe he said he really loved working with Val Kilmer um, on that episode. So... Um, but then he went on to do, well, of course, he did this before he before he did One Too Many. He did my favorite after-school special of his and probably one of my all-time favorites in general, um, something called Two Loves for Jenny or Between Two Loves. 
Uh, and Dan, you want to tell us about it? Susan Adams is a Southern gal, and her and her ma have moved to uh, Newtown, and they're at a, a high school, a big high school, much larger than what Susan is used to. Susan plays the violin. She sort of learned from her dad, who used to play the fiddle, but now she's she's playing the violin, and she tries out for the orchestra and this is one of those schools that has like a like a big prestigious orchestra that's like everyone knows this orchestra and they have a big scholarship they give out for four years of college kind of thing and she tries out for it and the conductor is a gentleman named uh uh, henry forbes henry forbes is played by Robert Reed. Hello. Oh my God! Yes, yes. This cast is so good. Robert Reed as a conductor. Hello. With and a perm so, and a mustache. Oh my God! He's so and sweaters. And, and he's got that like um uh he's got that that great sort of um what what was the movie Whiplash with the drummer from a few years ago uh where the guy I'm forgetting his name who played J Jonah Jameson in the Sam Raimi Spider-Mans where he plays like a, a music teacher who's like who's like so rough and tough and 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 Henry Forbes is kind of like the slightly lighter version of that but he's very much like no you're doing that wrong do that right over there are you ready okay lost concentration my dear you must learn to play for yourself. And you can learn to do that instead of trying to please others. You'll continue to be only a mediocre musician. At best. You may join the first violin section starting tomorrow. Take a sixth chair. Sir! Uh, how many first violin chairs are there? Now there are six. <laughs> so, just real quickly, I think everybody here who's listened to the show consistently knows that I have nothing but love for Robert Reed. And <laughs> yeah. he is so good in this. He's good in everything. And this is a really good example of how he's not... Okay, so Carlin Crockett, who plays Susie in this, is to me a chameleon. For years, I would see her in things, and I would be like, oh, I really like that actress. I wonder who that is. And then I would see it was Carlin Crockett. And I'd be like, oh, there's Carlin Crockett. And I didn't connect her with being in all of these different things because she's so different. Robert Reed is always Robert Reed. He's very identifiable to me as an actor. But he immerses himself into his roles as deeply as Carlin Crockett does. And... um having those two together in this was really like a paradise for me. And I think he's so wonderful as the teacher because he is kind of a hard ass, but he's also really kind in a, in a way. And you can see it even when he's saying things like that to her and the way he says it, you can feel the support. You know what I mean? Yes, I, I, I agree. Well, Robert Reed, uh, I, I always love Robert Reed. So, so just, and, and the thing is when I watch him conducting the orchestra, I'm looking at him going, I'm wondering if is that is that good conducting or bad? <laughs> I don't know the way conducting works. It looks perfect to me, but I would bet there's someone who's like a conductor who's watched it, who's gone. Uh, that's not the way conductors work. <laughs> but but I'm I'm in. So what happens is she's in sixth chair, and she meets up with a guy named Doug Henshaw, who's played by the hunky and tall. Lance Guest and he's on like the track field running and he's like 
and he says he looks at her violin case and says, "What is that? A cello? No, it's a violin. Oh, uh, you play violin? What are you, an egghead?" And he kind of, he 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 kind of insults her, but in a slightly charming way. Um, and she's like, "Okay, what was that guy about?" The next day at practice, uh, she learns that he is first chair violin. And she was, he was just kind of being a little flirty with her because she's lovely. And so they, they start playing and they start um, hanging out to Doug, Doug and Susan. And they start hanging out and they start getting kind of close. And it's sort of Doug is teaching Susan uh, sort of more uh, like a technical classical violin, whereas she is kind of teaching him to to let himself loose a little bit. Like, cause, like I said, she learned from her dad, who's more uh, fiddle style. And so, so they sort of, um, they, they're teaching each other. And we learn that, that Doug is going for this scholarship that I mentioned earlier, because his dad has pretty much said, I, I, from what I gather, if you want to be a violinist, you got to pay for it yourself. He's trying to test me. I just have that feeling. You got to believe. No. No, I mean it. You believe you can ride, he'll believe it too. Hey, Doc. What did you mean the other day about you have to win the scholarship? Well, I have to. That's all there is to it. I mean, without it, there's no money to go to college. No college. No studies, no career. My dad made it plain as day. I gotta get myself to college. Whose pea brain idea was this anyway? <laughs> Yours. Remember? So we should probably say that they're horseback riding? Yes. Because it's like you should, you believe you can ride him without knowing what he's talking about. <laughs> Might have the wrong connotation for listeners, but um, he takes her on a date and their date is horseback riding and he kind of sucks at it. Of course, he's like three times the size of the horse when you think about it. <laughs> yeah. He gets on it and his leg like swings past the horse's head because he's like, he's so tall. Yeah. Like I have no idea how tall Lance Guest is, but he seems extremely tall. And I guess maybe sizing him up to Patty Duke might not have been the best because she's 5'3", 5'2", right? I don't know. She's don't... tiny. and um, But, like, he gets on the horse. She's helping him get on the horse, and it's hysterical because he is this big guy. And I'm used to, like, jockeys, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so, like, because I used to go to the races when I was a kid. I'm not going to lie. Sure. And so, um, um, when Amanda he swings his admits. I do. I used to go. My mom took me to the races. So, um, he would kick his leg over the horse's head, and it was just, like, this giant leg going, like, over the head like it extends that far you know what i mean and then over into the other side that's my memory of it anyway and he's broad shouldered and curly hair of course sorry i can't contain it every time i watch this episode it's, it's, i fall it's, all in love well it's so weird because the last one was sort of social related but this one is a lovely it's based on a i i i did i write down sandy miller wrote yes. the book that it's based on it's based on a young romance novel which is which I love. I, I love the fact that they took, you know, these were as disposable as the horror novels that were coming out at that right. time. But but the fact that they, they took it and they made this special out of it. I love it. Love it. So, um, uh, so Doug Lance has basically said, uh, you know, I got to get this scholarship. And what happens is Henry Forbes, Mr. Robert Reed, enrolls Susan into this scholarship program. <gasps> Oh my gosh. So now she's on it, but but Lance 
uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> Doug hears it and is like, oh my gosh. So there's some kind of chicanery where the moment <laughs> Doug hears that Susan is involved, he begins to kind of ignore her to try to psych her out um, because he's like, well, you're my competitor now. And I'm just, I, I need to win. And Susan, the, the big sort of, there, there's a thing with the horse where she falls off the horse and bruises her wrist, which seems like a, it was probably more important in the novel. It, 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 it's a little weird in the episode. But the, the whole thing boils down to the two of them, Susan and Doug, um, perform before the scholarship committee, who are as stoic as you would imagine. And they, they don't look like they're having any fun listening to these kids playing wonderful classical music. And each of them has chosen kind of a, a, a classical piece that's a little rough, but they're going to do it. And, and But Susan, at one point, is called out by Mr. Forbes for not playing up to her abilities because Mr. Forbes thinks that she wants Doug to win. And he says to her right before the two of them perform, he says, you know, you, you he, Doug doesn't want you to flummox yourself and go all crappy so he can win. He wants to win. So you have to give it your best. And so it's sort of the, the big moment is um, Doug performs and he's brilliant. And then Susan goes out there to perform. And is she going to screw it up? Or is she going to be great? Or what's going to happen? And that's a big moment. Like, like, um, I'm, uh, like the uh, uh, one of the taglines I'm reading here is: "There's a teen violinist who is torn between her musical career and her boyfriend." And that's sort of the way it it wraps up. And we'll 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 spoil it in a moment. But that's where I'm going to end the breakdown. So what's so interesting about her is that she's not that concerned at the beginning about the music. Like, she enjoys it, and I think it's a connection to her dad who had passed away. And um, she's at the instrument store with her new friend, and yeah. she says, oh, I think I'm going to get into uh, Marketing. something. Yeah, and I'm going to, I want to be a buyer for a department store. Mm -hmm. And, like, it's the farthest thing from her mind. And so, in some ways, it's kind of frustrating because he has no options except to get the scholarship. Yeah. And so, even though... Uh, Forbes is encouraging this sort of what is pretty healthy competition, even though it's kind of starting to cross over into something more dangerous. Um, I, there's still a part of me that feels like, well, he needs it more than her. You know what I mean? But you're right because Forbes does, Forbes is telling her that it's not right that, that he wins it just cause. Yes. Yeah. You know, and it's, and, and in the end, I don't know that he would feel right about it either. Although I'm sure he would have, to be honest, let's face it, he needs that money. But, yeah. <laughs> but, but it's kind of like, it's sort of a chink in the armor of the, of the episode for me. Oh, because, interesting. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love this episode. Don't get me wrong. Every time. So the part you skipped over was oh, when sorry. he went, went to dinner at her mom's house you know and he's they're playing the violins and the fiddling and whatever and the oh, mom's yeah. listening and then she leaves and they're out by the fireplace oh, and they're just talking and he leans over and he kisses her it's lovely yeah it's everything it's everything it's it's, it's you know what I, I i i don't want to spend four hours doing <laughs> the breakdowns no i agree i agree though that's it's it's it is a romance at the end of the day yes every time i watch this i actually well first of all 
I mean, I've had a crush on Lance Guest since I was like 13, you know. I mean, I've been in love with him, but I hadn't seen this till I was an adult. This came out on DVD, and I bought one of the after-school box sets. And um, Oh, sure, and yeah, I thought, yeah. I thought, ooh, Lance Guest, I haven't seen this. So I put it on, and I didn't realize Carlene Crockett was in it. And so there's two for two. And then Robert Reed shows up, and you're like, oh, my God, this is to be the greatest thing I've ever seen. And every time I watch it... I'm not kidding. It's like falling in love. It's like it reminds me of all of those feelings I had when I was like a teenager, although I never had like a they have a really good relationship. Like I was too introverted and obviously I was dating 25 year olds at 17. So God knows. But <laughs> so God knows what was going on. But like but the point is, is that those feelings that she has as they grow closer I feel them as I'm watching the episode, yes. and when and when he pulls away, I feel that angst that she feels yeah. when she's trying to figure out what to do. It's so well done, and like this episode, there's a lot of episodes that maybe have more important meaning to them. Certainly, the one too many that he did was really speaking to drunk driving was huge, and of course, child abuse. And there's lots of episodes about adults that are alcoholics and the kids have to take care of them. There's episodes about parents dying they're very very important and children dying as a matter of fact yeah. the one i saw i can't remember the name of it with melissa sue anderson that's so heartbreaking but this episode it just hits all of the right notes for me and i can watch it over and over again because it's the most it's the least forced romance I can think of offhand that I've seen, really. With the exception of, I just recently watched, um, speaking of John Ritter, I watched Daniel Steele's Heartbeat, which is a really interesting sort of middle-class romance, because, you know, a lot of the um, Daniel Steele and Jackie Collins, obviously, adaptations, they tend to be well-to-do, Yeah. you know? And this is, they're upper-middle-class. But um, it's like it's like watching real people fall in love. Mm-hmm. And um, Polly Draper is in it with John Ritter, and um, and every time I watch it, it's just like oh, I can feel it because I can feel like I can relate to these people. So when I'm watching this after school special, I really relate to everything that's happening, and so it, nothing on it, nothing in it feels forced, with the exception of the fact that I'm that I struggle with the fact that I realize that she doesn't need the scholarship as badly as he does. Yes, that that that's the one tricky thing about it is that is that at the end when Robert Reed, uh, when Henry Forbes says you you need to go and give it your all, and you know the moment he says that she's gonna beat him, and and you you're sort of like he he has stated his case, and it's it's tricky because I don't think it's a um because the way the episode deals with it is after she wins. He go, she goes out to him and says, you know, you understand why I did this and that kind of thing. And he gets up and walks away. But then at the next pra- rehearsal, he shows up and gives her the first chair and he takes the second chair. And it's like, it's all right. But it's like, is it all right? Because I, I don't I think, I, I don't I, think th- he can go to college now. He was given a little medal, which I think is just like one of those little um, uh, things. That, like there, it's chocolate inside. So he just <laughs> yes. Oh, soft. I agree. I agree. But I feel like I feel like in the end, he has to weigh a couple of things, and one is that they legitimately care for each other. They do. So, so his outside outside of their relationship, things are not so great because he has to scramble and figure out how he's going to get the money to go to college. But it's not really Carling Crockett's fault or Susie that no. she won the competition, and so I think there was a cooling off period that he needed to have. And yes, yes. and that was the weekend that, you know, whatever Sunday happened and they traveled back. And I think he had to think about things. But the the relationship 
and in the end meant more to him not as not more than getting a college education but more to him that it wasn't worth risking losing what was turning out to be a really great boyfriend girlfriend situation yes. for both of them and so i think he just needed a cooling off period yes. and so and so that and then when he got back he he was like and plus i think that there's a healthy competition between them as well that's which is fun yeah there there yeah. really is by the end yeah yeah. So I think I don't have a problem with this ending at all. This ending works for me okay. um, really well. Plus, I like the idea of them staying together. Like, I'm not going to say they got married, like, after the credits, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it went past that. But I feel like what they had was so organically wonderful to watch mm-hmm. that um, that I like the idea that it, it probably continued. Yeah. And I, I feel like, too, I, I would hope that Doug would uh, be inventive enough to find um find another uh outlet i mean i'm I'm reminded of when i watch this i thought of um uh the slasher film fatal games where yeah. the the lead gal in that her dad is going to pull her out of the olympic academy because he says like what is this going to get you this this can't be your life kind of thing and that's that's sort of what i thought with doug and 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 the gal of fatal games you know argues her point about what she's doing and i'd love to think that doug might have a moment where he says dad you know have you seen fatal games actually hadn't been made yet <laughs> no uh, it says you know dad you know uh, you know i i let's do this let's try this you know let's or 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 we could find something there must have been another scholarship he could have applied for i think i think forbes is not going to let him down either i like that thought i like that thought that that mr forbes knowing kind of what he had done not not in a bad way but but what he had done as a teacher he's not going to let doug down and he, yes. you know, I, I would bet Mr. Forbes has access to every scholarship. Impossible. As a matter of fact, he's Robert Reed. That's he's kind of Robert. Yeah, he's yeah. It's kind of ironic because Lance Guest in the interview, I asked him about working with Robert Reed, and he just kind of briefly went into it. But he mentioned that there was some kind of award, maybe it was at UCLA, I can't remember now, that Robert Reed gave to somebody. So, like, he didn't, it wasn't his award, but, like, they brought him out to, I guess, award whoever won. And Lance Guest won the award. Robert Reed. No, but, but Lance Guest won the award. What? Yes, and so he got to talk to Robert Reed about it when they made the special. So it's kind of funny because they were talking about a scholarship, which is an award. Yeah. And he had actually won an award that was given to him by Robert Reed. So it's kind of funny now I think about it. That's meta, guys. Well, that's super meta. Oh, my gosh. So meta. So crazy. But um, we just, that's deep diving, baby. But, like, um, <laughs> I do feel like, I feel like uh, Forbes is really a compassionate guy. He just yes. comes off as a hard ass, but he doesn't even come off as that much of a hard ass, to be honest with you. And all of the advice he gives is is good. Yes. that That's the thing at the end of the day with, with the, the way, and, and it's always like um, music teachers. It's like my, my film school teachers, they could be hard asses sometimes, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, if they said, Dan, why are you late? And I said, oh, I was at the video store renting movies. And, I, and they were like, what did you rent? Oh, I rented uh, The Prowler and Evil Clutch. Let's watch one. You know, it's it's like they'd always go into, but it's like music. the music teachers are always like, they're like, mm, yes, let's do this. Mm, you're wrong there. You're wrong there. Okay, we're done. And then they walk away. And it's like, are they really like that? I, I, <laughs> I'm dying to know. I don't know. I, I, 
if there's anyone listening here who was a music uh, student or is currently a music student in college, are they like that? Really? <laughs> so we haven't heard from Nate yet. Nate, did this do anything for you? Um, I thought it had a good <laughs> lesson at the end. <laughs> did you not like this one? No, I, I don't know if I was a big fan of this one. And I felt they were way over-southerning these, like, southern accents. I mean, I grew up in the sticks. So, I mean, and you, you both hear how I sound. You don't sound any different than Carlene Crockett. We love I it. Think. I thought that she sounded very over-southern. Maybe I sound very over-southern, and I just don't realize it. Maybe. I, I have been noticing I say y'all a lot. <laughs> no, you don't. You don't. I'm just trying to like, <laughs> don't talk shit about Carlene. That's my girl. Well, I mean, she wins. You know, she she won the violinist stuff. So what end. didn't what didn't you like about it aside from the kind of the southern accent stuff? Well, I mean, I was just kidding about the southern accent, but I mean, for me, it it, it was just a little slow paced for me. And I don't know if I'm very much a love story fan unless there's some comedy as well. So you didn't think I it was funny? Terrible. You didn't think it was funny when she fell off the horse? Well, I don't think it was meant to be, was it or not? <laughs> like, you know. Um, that was hilarious. But no, I mean, I, I get, you know, where they were going with it in the end. And I'm glad that she did her best and didn't hold back because I liked that little speech. That, you know, he was giving her at the end that she's not doing, you know, Lance Guest any favors uh, by holding back and letting him win. I mean, that's that's not fair either. So I like that. I, I, I like the ending a lot. Um, I just it, it was a little bit harder for me to stay as as uh, into this one as I did. Please don't hit me, mom. So are you telling me that? You didn't think Lance Guest was the dreamiest thing you'd ever seen? Oh, no. He's very dreamy. I thought <laughs> I'd have been crushed on him when I was uh, uh, first saw Halloween 2. Yes. I think I did, too. I think everybody did. I think the first <laughs> thing I saw him in was actually The Last Starfighter. And I remember, like, dying that, you know, when I saw that. And uh, But this, every time I watch Two Loves for Jenny, there's guaranteed a moment where I'm just going to start giggling. Because he's like the dream teenager in this. You know what I mean? Like, he's everything that I would ever want in, like, a, a teenage boyfriend. Even though I think he was, like, in his 20s when he made this. But, like, um, and I just, maybe I'm just swept up in the dreaminess of it. Plus, I have to admit, I mean, this is, like, one of my all-time favorite after-school special casts. But I'm kind of, I thought you might be a little more into it, Nate. I was kind of surprised. Oh, I'm, I'm very sorry. Although, I love Robert Reed, though. I think he's, he's great just in amazing in everything that he's in. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a testament, you know, not that this is a, a bad episode because it's not, but like everything he did, he kind of immersed himself into it. And he he was he took every part like at face value and was like, I'm here to work. Yeah. And um, and I appreciate that because he was in some crazy stuff like that secret night caller. But I think he also chose his projects really well. I think he I think he enjoyed working, but I don't feel like he took anything that came his way, you know. Yeah. And so um, I have a lot of respect for him as an actor as well. Yeah, I, I, the, the early. Have you guys seen Bloodlust from nineteen sixty two? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's he's great in that too, with his mm -hmm. shirt that's a little too tight. Um, yeah. He was dreamy in that. He he's was so super cute. dreamy, like hitting on hitting on the lady, and you're thinking, really, is that what we're doing here? Awesome. All right. He's <laughs> he's 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 super fun in that one. Yeah. He's he's undeniably gorgeous to me, and I don't even care if he has curly hair and a mustache. You, you, you know what? 
Oh, I'm sorry, Nate. No, Nate. Hmm? Oh, my yeah. microphone must have picked up something. I was oh. disagreeing. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the heavy I, breathing. I was like, I just think that, uh, you know, I mean, I will say that I think that Robert Reed, um, I, I probably would have found him more attractive in the early Brady sequels yeah. before the curly hair. But even with the curly hair, I mean, it's still Robert Reed. Sure. Oh, yeah. my God. He's everything. He's everything. Oh, my God. So we've got these two curly, curly-headed, beautiful men. <laughs> and then we've got a curly-headed Carlene Crockett. So it's like... It was really like a very curly-headed after-school special. It just occurred to me. Although her hairstyle in this is questionable, but she pulls it off because I'm, she's I'm, uh, Yeah, I'm a little... I'm looking at it right now thinking her hair is a little questionable. I, I love a redhead, but um, I, I'm not sure on this hair. Well, she's gorgeous, but um, I don't like that particular hairstyle on her. She yeah. actually did two murders she wrote, I, I see. And, and she was on them, Dallas for forever? What was yeah, she was, she was Lucy's friend. You know that goofy friend with the glasses that used oh my to hang out all the time? Oh my God! Yes, yeah, okay. she's she's a chameleon. I'm telling you, every time I see her in something, because she's in um, Diary of a Teenage Hitchhiker, and I remember watching that. And I was thinking, God, this actress is so good. What have I seen her in? And then I was like, Oh my gosh, that's Carlene Crockett from Dallas. And then I would watch this, like something like Two Loves for Jenny. And then I would watch um, Return to Mayberry. She plays Ron Howard's wife in that. And Whoa. I'd be like, I was like, she looks so familiar. Oh, my God, it's Carlene Crockett. So she's in these two episodes of uh, Murder, She Wrote. And I don't remember the first one. But the second one is the one I mentioned it before with um, Tom Bray from Riptide and Charles Siebert from Chopper John and Barry Williams from The Brady oh. Bunch. And she looks <laughs> stunning in that episode. Um and she's in Eyes of Fire. She's the witch in that. Oh, my gosh. Wow, I love Eyes yeah. of Fire. Wow. Yeah, she's amazing. She's amazing. She's, like, one of my all-time favorite actresses. And um, and I worship her. And she kind of dropped out in, like, the early 90s. And I think that's unfortunate because I think the world could use a Carling Crockett. Because right she's about just now. So, yes, definitely now. She's so good. She's so good. And she's just so likable. And she's lovely. I, I don't have enough nice things to say about her. I crush on her maybe as hard as I crush on Lance Guest, really. I mean, she's she's on my she's very high up on my list of favorite actresses. Wow. I adore her, and so like just the combination of these three people together is for me. I, I could watch this episode over and over again till I died. I, I I will say you your mention that you think of her as a chameleon is. I didn't recognize her at all as I was watching this episode because I, I looked her up after the episode right and my notes as i was watching the episode was uh, basically don't recognize the actress and to go back to fatal games there are moments in fatal games where you think did they hire actors or did they hire gymnasts right and had them and there were a few moments in this where i was like did they hire a violinist and ask her to act or is this an actual actress doing decent violining so so and I'm I, I was proved wrong in my notes, which is why you make notes, because they're, you know, 70 percent wrong most of the time. So <laughs> but but yeah, I, I you know, I I think the thing I like about this episode uh, or maybe possibly the thing I love about this episode, I don't know. I, I need to return to after school specials properly. But um, I, I think if when I. When you, you said, okay, here's here's the after-school specials we're talking about, immediately I thought, okay, these are um, about issues. These are about problems. And mm-hmm. so I went into Two Loves for Jenny, not realizing that it's a sweet – it's not a romantic comedy, but it's a sweet romantic drama. 
Yes. And 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 so I sat there watching it, expecting someone to hit someone or someone to, you know, go hitchhiking and get pulled into a car and dropped off at the side of a road, or or someone to become an alcoholic. So so I I. I anticipated it being what I th- remembered after school specials being, which was teach you a lesson every week. Right. And this, this kind of teaches you a lesson in that, yeah. you, you know, you don't, you know, you, you, you know, you, you go to your fullest potential. You, 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 if, if you're good at something, do it. Don't let anyone stop you. And that's, but that, but, but that's one of those vague things where like, if your parents step up and say, knock that off, do something else, you go, okay, I'm sorry. You know, it, it's not like a, like a, you need to report it if someone's being abused kind of thing. So, but I really appreciated this episode. I, um, I really kind of enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, I, I, um, you know, uh, I, you know, I, yeah, I so, did. So basically, Nate has no idea what he's talking about. No, I understand completely what <laughs> Nate is saying too. But but that's just I I think my expectations were in a different realm. And as I was watching all almost all of my notes, as I'm looking at them, you can hear my my note page. They seem to be anti to what I'm saying right now. This is the first time I watched it. I watched it a second time earlier today, and I was like, oh, I get it. It's it's a young it's a young romance. It's yeah. it's 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 that's what it is. I I went into it thinking it was a social disease. I no. expected everyone to come out of it with chlamydia. And <laughs> oh my gosh, so that was the second part. <laughs> and that didn't happen. Okay. So yeah. it's it's actually a, a charming and Lance guess he looks so good. And I wish I had I can't pull off the big hair like my hair does crazy things when it gets long. So I can't pull off that kind of thing that he does. I can't. I can't do it. He, so he did it. He did it so well. Yeah, I have to. <laughs> I have to shave my head at a certain point. So yeah, no, so, he did it unlike any other person I can think of in <laughs> in the early eighties. Because yeah. you know, every time I watch Halloween two, it's like, OMG, yes. what am I looking at? <laughs> and and I think somebody says in the feedback that basically Laurie Strode forgot all about Ben Tramer. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, because yeah. Lance Guest walked in, right? Yeah, and uh, and yeah. what's his ready. Char- what's his character's name? He's, is he a Tramer? No, he's not. Uh, what's his character? Oh God, Nate, you know, what Jimmy? Is his ca- Jimmy, 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 Jimmy. I don't remember his up. last name. I just know it was Jimmy because I remember she calls him Jimmy. Okay, yeah. Remember he, he brings he he offers to bring her a coke. Yeah, yeah it was Lance Guest, Jimmy Lloyd. There's, I feel like there's a Tramer in there, though. He knows Ben Tramer, right? Or he knows Tramer. He probably knows. Everyone knows. When, when, yeah, the Ben Tramer scene was the scene that sent me running when I was, like, nine years old and I saw that on HBO. So Yes. It, yeah, so uh, I don't know that I – when I originally watched that movie, I didn't – I don't know if I've said this before and this is a little tangent, but uh, my mom and my sister, right after my dad died, we got HBO – and my mom and my sister went to bed and I was in the living room of our big, well, it wasn't a big house. It was, it was a decent sized house and everything was dark and Halloween two came on HBO. And I thought this is going to be fun. And I was like eight and I got literally 10 minutes in and I turned it off because I was so scared. Yeah. And I, I, I literally, I couldn't move. I was like, okay, I, I need to get up the steps and into my bed 
but Michael Myers is going to kill me yes. before I get there. And uh, I, I made it in the end, but that was like the the only, like, I think like a week later, I tried to watch a Death Valley with Peter Billingsley. Oh, I love that movie. And there's a sequence where like a big gal goes up to like a... Um, uh, oh, that's the worst. The, he, he lures her to her death with food. Yes, and he slits her throat. And I was horrible. like, oh, what's this movie about? And I turned it on and I watched two minutes. And I was like, holy crap, it just happened again. You know, why, yeah. can't I, why can't I be watching, like, the Dukes of Hazard? You know, why, like, yeah. why, or, like, Porky's 2. Why do I keep watching these movies? But, yeah, it's, it's like, I, it wasn't until several years later where I was able to enjoy Lance Guest in Halloween 2. Yeah, like, that's why I love the TV version of Halloween 2, because he lives. He lives, yeah. And it's very important to me that he makes it out of every film in one piece. I mean, it has to happen, or well, I'm not going to... I'm not going to survive myself. There are so many slashers, like, say, forgive me, Final Exam, where I love the characters, but they all get killed. And so I have to stop the movie before they start to get killed. But yeah. you have an alternate version. I do. That you can watch where the guy you love makes it to the end. It's so exciting for me. And actually, I saw it on TV first, so I always just assumed he made it. So when I, like, finally rented it, I was... Oh, by the way, Jeffrey Kramer's in that movie, too. So... Oh, my God. Um, yeah. So Halloween 2 is like my favorite movie of all time, probably. But anyway. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. It's super It's super fun, yeah. Yeah, well, it's got the hottest dudes ever. But, like, um, um, so I rented it, and then I was like, wait a minute. I thought he lived, and it was like this traumatic experience for me. And then I realized that there were two different edits somewhere down the line. But anyway, yes. these were huge Lance Guest fans. I'm kind of surprised after seeing this that he didn't get more romantic leads like that. Yeah. Um, at least from my experience of what I've seen um, in film, uh, maybe he did later, but like uh, in this era that I'm more familiar with, he would have been such a great romantic lead. He's got a really interesting quality to him when he does like line delivery, um, like in um, he's very natural. I think he, it's he's natural, got but he prepared. sometimes he looks put off. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like he's got a sarcasm to him that it, that I see sometimes, and I, I don't know. I saw him. I actually got to see him last year in person. Um, he what? came to, yeah. He I didn't get to meet him. Um, he came and they did a Halloween two reunion at Texas Frightmare, okay. and um, and it was amazing. And he seems like a really fun guy. He was really into all the questions everybody was asking, and like everybody was called. Cool. Anna Alicia was there, you know. Nancy Stevens was there. Um, was Miss uh, the guy, uh, Shoop there? No. Oh, that breaks my. Oh heart. no, she wasn't. I have met her. I she, met her. She. I do like her. Well, she's beautiful. Um, I love Empire of the Ant. She's so great in that. Um, she's very nice. Um, and uh, uh, D Dick Miller? Not Dick Miller. Oh, my God. What's his name? The guy who plays the killer. Who plays Michael Myers? In Dick Warlock. With Dick Warlock, yeah. yeah. Dick Warlock. I don't know where I got Dick Miller from. Uh, Dick <laughs> Warlock was there. I'm trying to remember who else was there. Uh, those are the ones I remember. And Annalicia was amazing, too. But, like... Um, um, I remember Lance Guest was sort of joking around with like the people. There was a Q and A, and he was laughing, and he was he just seemed really excited to be there, and it was nice. Yeah. And because uh, you know we we couldn't afford to get autographs that year, so I had to kind of skip it. But we walked by his table, and he looked really friendly and approachable, and he's been very nice in the emails. And so my love for him has only just grown sure. and grown until the restraining order has to kick in to save him. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You, well, well, you've got like uh, I think like fourteen restraining orders going, and and uh, they keep 
Kevin get renewed for various gentlemen, right? Uh, right. That's so true. But right now, it's all about Lance Guest. So, yeah. So let me let me give you a little trivia about Two Less for Jenny. It yes. originally aired on October twenty seventh, nineteen eighty two, which made it a not very good Halloween episode of the After School Special. Um, it went into production around May of eighty two, along with another ABC After School Special titled No Safe Harbors. It was released on video in nineteen ninety nine. Um, on a label called the New Kid Home Video, which also released uh, the after-school specials, The Skating Rink, Summer Swans, and What Are What Are Friends For, which is a wacky episode, and we'll probably cover that at one point. Um, this is an adaptation, as we talked about, of a young adult novel by Sandy Miller, who I believe is now the co-owner of a publishing house called Beneath the Branch, which is an ecology-minded company that often publishes children's books. Um, which I thought was interesting. This was shot at Marshall High in Los Angeles. Uh, and Carlin Crockett was in one other after-school special called A Matter of Time, which is where her mother dies. It's a really harrowing episode, and I was going to rewatch it, but I didn't have the heart because I remember it being pretty upsetting. Because her, I can't remember who plays her mother. It's a really beautiful actress. Um, but she gets really sickly as the episode progresses, and it's kind of hard to watch, um, especially if you've been uh, touched by cancer. It's I think it's a tough one. It's really good. Um, and her character's name is Susie, so I'm not sure why it was called Two Loves for Jenny, but there you go. I hadn't actually thought of that before. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think that's why they also called it Between Two Loves, because they adapted the novel and gave it that name, I think. Or maybe the original name was Between Two Loves, and then it just became Two Loves for Jenny later. I don't know. Wow, that's that's screwy. I, that never even occurred to me as I was <laughs> I've watched it twice now. That was weird. Wow. Okay. Yeah. My note was my note was her character is named Susie. Why? Yeah. I, Why? I just I have two loves for Jenny, a couple of notes, and then Susan Adams, and that never. Um, wow. That was after school special. You continued to astound. Yes. So there was some acid dropping, maybe lessons to be learned. Don't drop acid and do adaptations of young adult novels. Yes. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, Paul W. Cooper, pay attention. <laughs> um, so two of us give it a thumbs up. Nate didn't like it so much. Um, I don't know what to say about that, Nate. I know it's odd for me not to like something. I didn't dislike it. I would just give it a five out of ten. Sure. Okay. Yeah, but wouldn't you give Madman a five out of ten? No, actually, Madman's moved up to a six and a half out of ten for me now. <laughs> You're so specific you know with your points. You know what? I, I, I always preferred Madman to the Burning until Me I saw too. the Burning. Uh, until I saw the Burning oh. on the big screen a year ago. Yeah, it looks good on the big screen. I saw it on my birthday a couple years ago. It was super fun, and so I boost I boosted the Burning a little. I've seen Madman on the big screen too, and I love the Burning. I think the Burning's probably in a way better made, and it's certainly mm -hmm. better acted. But there's something about Madman that I find really compelling and genuinely terrifying. I, I think. To me, the thing about Man Man is it takes place over the course of like five or six hours. Yeah. Which I, I love. I love the the compacted time of it. It it begins in the dark. It ends in the dark. It it doesn't. It, it, it when it ends, there isn't even a sign of like, oh, the sun's coming up. No, it's still dark. And it's I such a love that. it's such a minimalist slasher like. Yes. So I can't remember if I talked about Brancusi, the sculptor, on here, or if I talked about him to a friend. But Brancusi was this sort of—I guess he was a modernism, maybe. Um, I don't know what you call it, but anyway, he was a sculptor. And what Brancusi did was he would take objects, you know, like a bird, and then he would shave it down 
to his to the essence of what that bird was. So he does a lot of things that look like just a pole. But the pole is like the essence of like human life or whatever. And it's really beautiful art. And I love minimalism. And so so what Madman did was it took the slasher film and then it shaved it down. It's already a kind of a compact structure. And then he sh they shaved it down even further to the very essence of what a slasher is. And that's why it works for me. And that's why I think it's a classic. It's a work of art, guys. I'm in. I'm in. I love both of them. I, you know, I. Yeah, I do too. I do too. Yeah, I, I'm. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But Madman has a final girl. It edges out the burning for me. Yeah. For that reason. I, I may go for that just because you know I love the Police Academy movies, and the final boy in the burning is one of the skateboard guys in Police that's Academy right. Four. So, so it's like whenever I see him, I'm like, oh, that's a guy who skateboards with David Spade in Police Academy Four. So, so you don't you don't think Two Loves for Jenny is as good as Madman is what you're saying? I forget yes. what I'm saying right now. That's what I'm saying. Oh, that's well, what Nate's saying. Uh, yeah, uh, I'd have to watch Two Loves. Here's the thing: I've watched Madman probably ten times and Burning probably eight or nine times, and Two Loves for Jenny I've watched twice. So I, I can't I can't judge those. I've seen Madman like thirty times, and I'm gonna see it thirty well, more. What? You know what? I was going to say I made a mistake. I've seen Mad Men 34 times. I've seen it 36. Oh, my gosh. You beat me on the <laughs> Mad Men front. Well, I, mm -hmm. you know, I will say um, Don't Go in the Woods and Last Slumber Party, I have probably seen 30 to 40 times. Oh, me too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And Mad Men and the Burning, eh, probably a dozen times each, maybe. So. Oh, I've seen Mad Men so many times. Burning, I've seen maybe 10, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I saw it on a triple feature. It was what Sleepaway Camp, The Burning, and Twisted Nightmare, and it was a really fun evening. Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah, we but we're not here to talk about your triple features. About those things, yeah, we're here for yeah. young romance. We're here to talk about feedback. Are you guys ready? Nate, I'm, can you I'm stick done. around? Uh, yeah, I can stick around for feedback. Okay, here we go. Let's do it. Feedback time. Yeah. Oh yes. Okay, so we got a piece of audio feedback, so let me start with that because he asked us some questions, and uh, I don't know if anybody's in a position to write them down. I know I mailed them to you so you'd be prepared, but now I can't remember what they are, so let's try to remember all three of them, and let's listen. Hello, Amanda. This is Adam Gordon, Triple X Radio fan on Twitter, and I love the podcast. It has been refreshing to hear such insightful and intelligent commentary on classic TV. I have three questions to ask about after-school specials. There have been a number of big-name actors who have appeared in these over the decades. Blair Brown, Michelle Pfeiffer, Val Kilmer, Jennifer Jason Lee, Jodie Foster, Rosanna Arquette, Rob Lowe, Meg Ryan, Cynthia Nixon, and Michelle Green, to name several. But who are your king and queen of the after-school special? Based on sheer volume, I would say Rob Lowe and Christy McNichol, but I would be interested in hearing your choices. Second, while the special started out with a more educational focus, they became more about social issues over the years, as the networks found that they could score public relations points. As such, they became awkward, heavy-handed, and downright laughable, sort of a reefer madness of the late 20th century. I would like to hear your comments about the changes in these specials over time. Finally, what's your favorite after-school special title? 
For me, my favorites are My Dad Lives in a Downtown Hotel, The Magical Mystery Trip Through Little Red's Head, Reading, Writing, and Reefer, Have You Ever Been Ashamed of Your Parents, and High School Narc. Thank you for taking my questions, and I'll be listening. So thanks so much, Adam. So he asked some really, really good questions. Um, the first one was the actors one, and he went through kind of a roster, which maybe I should have done at the beginning, of all the, the so many people that were in after school specials were either becoming established, were established, or were on their way, you know, to being really established. Uh, like Val Kilmer is a good example, or Michelle Pfeiffer um, in the One Too Many episode with Lance Guest, Mira Winningham. I think she's an Oscar-nominated actor. Um, and, of course, Kristen McNichol is Amer- was America's sweetheart. And I think Jodie Foster was in one early on in the 70s even. So um, they had a lot of really, really great actors. But when he says, who are your king and queen, I had to go kind of obscure uh, and sort of follow my heart. And so I went with Moosey Dreyer. Of um, course. Who is a child actor who was only in a couple of after-school specials and only one that I really, really remember. But... Um, I'm a huge Moosey Dreyer fan. I think we just talked about him a little bit. Uh, and uh, the one I remember him most from was Andrea's Story, A Hitchhiking Tragedy, which uh, also starred Michelle Green. But he was also in Hewitt's Just Different, which is the one Dan mentioned, and another one called Runaways, which I think has a pretty big cult following. And he did these over the course of almost 10 years. So when he did Runaways in 74, he was a little boy. And then uh, by the time he got to Andrea's Story, he was a teenager and um 1983 so but i really really like moosey dryer and um i don't know if i call him the king of the after school special because obviously he's only in three of them but he was he's was a consistent person in my life and growing up um even he did commercials i feel like he was uh howard's son on the bob newhart show um and so i grew up with moosey uh, we're not quite the same age. He's a little older than me, but we kind of came up together. And so he's somebody that I think about very fondly and, um, and somebody that I think is a really good actor and probably underrated. Uh, for actresses, I decided to go a little uh, obscure, and I went with um, an actress named Alexa Kennan, who is probably best remembered for playing Molly Ringwald's best friend in 16, not 16 Candles, in Pretty in Pink. She's like kind of the badass friend that's like um, when they're in the gym class and she's talking about how the other girl's breasts are going to shrivel up and they get mad at her and there's like a to-do in the gymnasium. And um, she was also in uh, Little Darlings, if anybody here has seen that. And oh, Alexa, yes. Yeah, Alexa died very young. She died in 1985. I think it was of a drug overdose. But she did several after-school specials. Um, the Amazing Cosmic Adventures of Duffy Moon, Me and My Dad's New Wife, Make Believe Marriage, A Movie Star's Daughter, and Amy and the Angel. I don't believe that she starred in any of those, and I could be wrong. I feel like she's always been kind of a supporting actress. But um, I've always loved her, mostly for Pretty in Pink, because she's such a badass in that. And I always wanted to be her. And that was actually the second to last thing she did. Um, I think her last fo- I might have even come out posthumously. It says here she died in 85. Pretty in Pink was 86. Um, I think she's a real talent. Um, I think she's somebody you could count on. And uh, and I think that she's an actress that's probably worth mentioning, um, and this is a good place to mention it. But there were also lots of, he mentioned Cynthia Nixon, you know, who I always forget was a child actor. Um, she's in one of my favorite episodes. We'll talk about when we get to titles. Um, and I only remember seeing Rob Lowe in Schoolboy Father. I'm not sure I've seen him in some others, so I'm not sure. But Dan, do you have a king and queen? 
I, I did, and my um, yeah, my my queen is is an obvious one. My first thought was Jodie Foster, um, but then I realized that when I was was uh, this age to watch these, um, I got the tinglys and the joys. Uh, <laughs> although I never watched Family from Christy McNichol. Sure. So I got to go for her in uh, was it Fawn Story and um, what is it? Um, uh, me and Dad's new wife and the pinballs. Yeah. That's a, me and Dad's new wife is really good. Yeah, and and one of those she's in, uh, she's in. I think it's Teeny Others' brother, Poindexter Yothers. Oh my and, gosh, you made and, that up. No, I didn't because. Oh my god. I wrote down here Poindexter. Is that not a joke name? But that it's Poindexter Yothers. I, I think it's Tina's brother, but I I I didn't actually be, uh, get to go back to it. But the thing is. Um, like, uh, I, I think I have a Family Feud episode with Chrissy McNichol on it. Yes. With, uh, from Family. Yes, yes. I just, and I've got like three or four Battle of Network stars with her on it. And, and she's so it, cute. And like the past three or four years, I've watched those and I was like, oh my gosh. It was like, I had, I think I had, she, I don't know if she was my first crush per se, um, but uh, she was just, um, Whoa, she's such a badass and little darlings. I mean, yeah, the first oh time God, I, so I saw that movie, the first time, and Tatum O'Neill is beautiful. Let's not yeah. understate the beauty of that woman. But yeah. Chris McNichol is a bad ass. Like, isn't at the very beginning when she's getting on, going to go to summer camp and she kicks that guy in the nuts that's like bothering her? Yeah. And, and she's got the leather jacket. And, like, she's so amazing in that movie. That that's a movie that needs to get a proper release because I, I think we're still in VHS town on that yes. one. So, yes. but uh, yeah, I go with Chris McNichol just because um, uh, there there was something about and the fact that she, when she would run the obstacle course in Battle of the Network Stars, she would always kick ass. Yeah, and it was just like, oh my gosh, that's like that's like when I was that age, that's the gal I want. The gal I could hang out with and we could, you know, we'd and family family was the one that had that weird staircase in the kitchen, wasn't it? I think. Oh, I don't remember. If I remember correctly. Uh which always confused me about that show. Um but but it's like, you know, I could sit with her like on a porch swing and we could get close. But then she would also whoop my ass when we did the obstacle course, and I would be like in the ground, in the sand, just laughing at, at how wonderful all this was. I I uh, think that's what Chris McNichol's appeal was, though. It was like she was attractive to boys, but she was also like one of the girls, like a tomboy. Like she could do yes. anything, and you could admire her, but you also felt like you could like hang out with her. You yes. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Where it's like, like with, like with Nancy McKeon, like I watch her and go, Nancy, skip the tomboy stuff sometime. I don't think you need to do that. But Chris McNichol, I think, sort of um, uh, bridged it and was able to sort of hit both uh, sides, as it were. You know, like tomboy and kind of. So side. I just realized that Alexa McKinnon is, uh, or Alexa Kennan is also in Me and My Dad's New Wife. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. I know that's that. a good. That's a good movie. I haven't seen it in a long time. I remember her. I think from Movie Star's Daughter, which is really okay. good with uh, Trini Alvarado. I think is the daughter. Oh, sure. oh yeah, yeah, I believe so. Uh, oh yeah, definitely. I definitely. love yeah. her. Yeah, yeah, love her. Yeah. Um, and who's your who's your king? I got to go with Lance Kerwin. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. He was in uh, what is it? Psst, Hammer Hammerman's After You, Bridge of Anamrush. Amazing Cosmic Awareness of Duffy Moon and PJ and the President. Uh, 
All those um, are good titles. Yeah, I, I, I just, and I just think I ruined a bunch of my titles for the uh, the final oh, thing. Oh, that's okay. But, just uh, repeat them. But, but I think like. I think uh, just sort of looking through the episodes, when I think back on them, I was like, oh, yeah, I, th- I think I feel like Lance Curtin was also on Battle of the Network Stars several mm-hmm. times. So I, I think maybe it's a Battle of the Network Stars thing if if they were showing up on those. But I, I, I would go for him. I, I have sort of less to say about him than I did about Chrissy McNichol. But um, I always liked him whenever I saw him. So yeah, he's great. Yeah, so those, those, that's my king and queen. Okay, so Nate, do you have a king and queen? Um, well, no, because <laughs> I didn't watch enough of them back then to to know enough about them. I will say though that I was looking at the link that you'd sent us um, to the Wikipedia article on uh-huh. after school specials. And a lot of these sound so entertaining, uh, I'm going to watch more. So maybe I'll yes. have a king and queen as I watch more and more of them. <laughs> um, but as of right now, I'm just finding a lot of stuff. And a lot of actors, like famous actors, are in these things. Yes. So this will be very interesting for me. Unfortunately, I've only got about 10 minutes left. Oh, okay. Well, then let's get through the rest of these questions, and then we'll do the rest of the feedback without you. Um, even though there is a piece of feedback that mentions you, um, so oh really? Let's, yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's let's try to get through that and then that written feedback real quick. So, um, although I don't know if we can do this in ten minutes, but the uh, the second question is a lot headier, where he kind of talks about how he thinks that the uh, after school special has changed, um, right from educational to like the social issue component, and um, and Adam didn't he found it kind of hilarious and so maybe more heavy handed I think. And I don't know that I necessarily agree with that, but I have to also say that my experience with after school specials kind of, even though I watched them in the early seventies, my memory is of the episodes that he would consider the heavy handed social issue episodes. And, um, and I look back on those really fondly. So uh, we could probably talk about the cultural shift or not the cultural shift, but I guess the shift on the series. Um, but I don't know that I noticed a tone change at all. You know, maybe I was too young to see it. Maybe it was more nuanced than we make it sound. But um, to me, it was always sort of about kids learning to do things or take care of themselves or take care of problems that might seem bigger than them. And that always seemed like a constant for me. So I don't necessarily notice the change. Now, I do agree as time changes, you know, things... uh, they took on some topics that I think we look back on maybe and we'd like that cocaine trailer I played. Mm-hmm. Um, it might seem really silly, but like there was some really good stuff in there too. And they were still dealing with like broken homes. I watched one recently. Oh my gosh. I'm trying to remember who starred in it or what it was even called, but it was either a CBS school break or an after school special about, um, Oh my gosh. It had the lady from facts of life from the first episode who worked with, uh, Edna, the redheaded lady and I can't remember her name, and I hate that I can't remember it because I love her. Um, and she's like, she's like a really horrible mother. And so the daughter moves out, and um, she tries to live on her own, but she ends up moving in with her best friend who had quit school and gotten an apartment. And her friend is like a drug dealer. Oh, and my God. so she can't figure out whether to move back home where things are just horrifying at home because of the way she's berated by her mom, or if she should like try to stick it out on her own. And um, Oh, gosh. O'Hara. Jenny O'Hara, I think, is the mother. And uh, 
it was really good. But I could see people looking back on it because, oh, her friend just happened to become a drug dealer. You know what I mean? Like, a lot of stuff has to happen for the story to take place. And I could see people kind of watching it. Or the day my kid went punk, maybe that's a better example. (laughs) (laughs) I like that episode. Yes, I'm watching it. But uh, I'll be honest, I mean... Uh, I don't feel like it's so ridiculous. I feel like it spoke to people. I know it spoke to me as a teenager, so I can't. I don't know that I can properly answer that question, Dan. Yeah, I here here. I'm I'm going to start. I'm just going to take one minute to say I realized as I was talking with someone about the ABC After School Specials, and and this is this is why I am not 100% the best authority on the specials is that and you mentioned this at the beginning and i i was talking to them and i said and this person said oh yeah i used to watch the after school specials and they mentioned a few of the topics and things i said yeah i kind of remember those too and i said yeah and i i remember watching those um after the cartoons on saturday morning and they said well those aren't after school specials dan and i said what do you mean and, I, and, and for some reason in my mind, the after school specials became the weekend specials. Yeah, yeah. And I actually went on Wikipedia and I looked through the weekend specials and I realized that I watched the weekend specials pretty regularly. There's one called The Trouble with Miss Switch, which involves a witch yes. that I watched this afternoon that I loved. There's one called, uh, there's Banicula, the... the sure. Uh, yeah, and Vampire there's Bunny. A Scruffy about a dog. There's one about, what is it, The Secret World of Og, which I watch. And suddenly I realized that I'd actually watched more of those than I'd watch after school specials. Because generally, when I would come home from school, I'd watch old sitcoms. Which is how I got into like Green Acres and stuff. Right. But I did watch the specials. And the thing was, to me, the specials were almost always about some sort of issue. And so I don't know that I can properly answer that question either because like watching Two Loves for Jenny, I was sort of charmed by the fact that it was a romance. Right. And that's not the only one like that. No, no, not at all. Not at all if you go... And and when you go back earlier, they're they're doing all kinds of goofy, wonderful, strange stuff. It's it's like, to me, when I would tune in, it was like after-school specials were about um, kids in wheelchairs, kids on drugs, kids who had problems with, uh, I don't know, uh, eating eating disorders. That might have been later in the decade. But, but, you know, it's like that's sort of what they were. And I mentioned maybe not on this podcast, what else, but elsewhere that I had, I had problems with hour long shows when mm-hmm. I was young. Oh yeah. 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 Wh- which is why the weekend specials were great. Cause those were a half hour. Mm-hmm, that's right. And, and so I would watch the occasional, uh, after school special. If it was someone I liked in it, Chrissy McNichol, um, uh, Chachi, I'm not going to say his name, but, um, sort of, you know, uh, folks that I liked, but so, so to me, the, the shift from sort of more, um, uh, sort of general teen sort of stories to the social kind of thing. I always saw them as being the social kind of thing. I never saw them as being like camp or overdone. I just saw them as yeah. like, that's the, they, they were telling the, like with Please Don't Hit Me, Ma, they, they were telling the story the best way they could. 
uh, with what they in the time they had. Yes. So 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 I I never I never and I I'll be honest I stopped watching them probably around eighty three eighty four. So I missed a lot of seasons of the show, um, but I remember I remember really enjoying what I saw and being affected by what I saw sometimes to the point where an episode would affect me and I'd skip the next one. Cause I didn't want to feel that again. I was, it was not, it was not something I was up for, uh, right. you know, but, but I, 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 I don't remember having a problem with the, the sort of social thing of it because I thought that's what it was meant to be. And right. I, I think if if someone were to hand me if someone were to say because the show started in what was it seventy five was it or um I, I said think, it what it was but seventy two or something it was real early it was seventy two yeah it was seventy two if someone were to step up to me and say Dan here are the seventy two through seventy six episodes of After School Special you know what I'd love them as much as I love Carnival of Blood as much as I love. Sasquatch and and all those Bigfoot movies and strange Force Beyond and movies from the seventies. So I, I'm sure I love them. So I don't I don't think there's a distinction uh, between them. I I think it was probably an I feel like it would have been a natural progression from yeah sort of sort uh, of hey kids th- oh sorry I just feel like I feel like Adam brings up a really good question. I just don't know that I can answer because of the way I watch things. Yeah, but, I, but I, it would. It probably. I probably. When I listened to this originally, I'm thinking now maybe I should have prefaced the beginning of the show with this question because it is something to think about. Because my research, I didn't do it like a huge amount of research in terms of. Well, there's not. It's really hard to research it because if you look up after school special in the in the newspaper archives that I use, I'm just. It's going to just bring up reviews of that episode. There's not a lot of overview of the entire series except for some academia that's been written, and which I used. But um, but I think he's approaching it more from a viewer standpoint, where I kind of went more into like the academic viewpoint, and maybe I missed the point of the after school special to a degree. No, I I, I mean to me it it, it uh, from what I've I've encountered, sort of looking at the beginning, it was very much like just uh, telling stories either specifically to kids or like like pitching a story that would have been adult oriented to kids. But then as it went along, they began to introduce the issues and then the issues took over the show, which uh, by time they took over the show, I was frankly gone from the show. So, you know what a show, a show that goes on for 25 seasons is going to be very different at the end than where it started. So, so it's like, you know, like I'm, I, I, I hate to say it, but like a show like Doctor Who has had 36 seasons now. If you watch the first season of Doctor Who in 1963, it's very different from the season that just finished two months ago. Oh, so, yeah. so, so you get things change, things evolve. And I would love if someone out there would send me a complete run of every single episode of the After School Specials. Only if you make a copy for me. <laughs> no, uh, Amanda will receive the immediate copy and then Nate would like one. He would get yes. one too. It's ten thirty. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, let's just real quick go over the titles, and then I'll just tell you the end of what the other feedback says. So you oh, okay? Because um, Dan. Oh boy. Let's just go over the titles. So, what are some of your favorite titles, Nate? Did you make a list? 
Uh, I'm looking at the list right now, actually. I love the day my kid went punk. That's the one you posted about <laughs> on Facebook, which I think yeah. looks awesome. absolutely hysterical. It's awesome. I got to watch it. That's going to be probably mm-hmm. the next one I watch. Okay. Um, I All like right. the one that's called, Have You Ever Been Ashamed of Your Parents? Because the answer to that is yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love the one called, Daddy, I'm Their Mama Now. I picture that in a southern accent, a very thick southern accent. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds like a that sounds like an exploitation movie. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. There's some others on there. Also, that you like, oh, sigh, it isn't easy being a teenage millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> you you say that on average about twelve times a week, Nate, don't you? Oh yes. I mean, I'm I feel very much like a teenage millionaire. <laughs> when I was a teenager, I thought I was a millionaire when I had a hundred dollars. That's true. Now I think That's it's true. nothing. <laughs> Yep. I used to ask my parents when I was like nine, I was like, what would you do if you had $99? And my mom would say, because I couldn't go to 100 because that just sounded too big. And my mom would say, I, I would buy groceries. And I was like, you wouldn't get you wouldn't get a swimming pool? And she was like, no, I would get oh. groceries. <laughs> <laughs> so um, are there any other titles there, Nate? Um, and those are the ones that I saw that really stuck out to me. Okay. I'll just do mine real quick. Um, so I, you'll notice I, I really like the romance episodes, So, um, which makes sense considering how I feel about Too Lush or Jenny. But what I wrote down here was, it, it must be love because I feel so dumb, which is like the greatest title ever. Oh, uh, that, I wrote that one down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dear Lovey Heart, I Am Desperate. Um, <laughs> now, I wrote down Dinky Hawker because the original young adult novel it was based on is called Dinky Hawker Shoot Smack. <laughs> and it's awesome. And I finally, finally, finally saw Dinky Hawker for the first time. And it stars Wendy Jo Sperber. And it's amazing. I loved it. Um, then I wrote A Very Delicate Matter. Because that's one of my favorite after school specials. Um, the Late Great Me. The Story of a Teenage Alcoholic. It's No Crush. I'm in Love. Which is one of my favorite episodes with Cynthia Nixon. And The First Egg. Which is a really, really fun episode too. Those are some of my favorite titles. I can't read them as well as Nate, but <laughs> and you notice that mine are all about like half of them are about being in love because I Aww. think those are the ones I'm just attracted to. Yeah, I'm a romantic. I'm a romantic at heart. Yeah. So, so Dan, I'll say quickly: the incredible, indelible, magical, physical mystery trip. Yes. Uh, my dad lives in a downtown hotel. <laughs> uh, psst, hammer, hammerman's after you. Uh, the. What the toothpaste millionaire? Michael's mixed up musical bird. Uh-huh. I I just love this one. She drinks a little, maybe she drinks a lot, and you're underselling that. Uh, yeah. Can can a guy say no? Oh, I've been dying to see that one. I can't find it. Getting even, a wimp's revenge, uh, and then me and my hormones, <laughs> and, and then the last one is. Bonnie Raitt has something to talk about. I like that one too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, those are you. You guys nailed most of mine, but those are mine. Those so. are really good. Um, so I hope Adam that helped. I'm sorry we couldn't be. We'll have to reapproach the second question if we end up doing another one because I'd like to do a couple more like next year, and then we can kind of maybe as we rediscover the shows we can address it better. But um, but I just want to move on real quick. So Jack on Twitter, wrote some feedback. And I'll read the whole thing after we let Nate go. But um, he wrote, um, I hope Nate was able to make it through the whole episode this time, but if not, I understand. He should know I finally watched Criminally Insane 1 and 2, 
And I loved one, but two, I have to admit, I scanned through all the repeated scenes from part one. All I have to say is I need my groceries, and instead of two half glasses of ice cream, make it four. Oh, yes. I mean, who doesn't love Ethel? I know Dan does. <laughs> I'm I a do too. Ethel fan. Yes. Yeah. We're all, we're all nuts about crazy fat Ethel, Nate. Uh, I love her. <laughs> I would have given anything if I could have met Priscilla Alden when she was alive. Oh my yeah. gosh! Yeah, I I would have brought her like a half gallon of ice cream in a in a bowl, and we would have watched Gunsmoke, and it would have been uh, awesome. Yes, yes, she is, she's really cool. So so you are influencing people all over the world to yes. watch. I'm excited. Insane. So you know you are a trendsetter, Nate. Yeah, and thank you for your feedback. And I may not have made it through the entire episode, but I feel like I made it through most of it. You yeah, did. This you, time around. The only problem is, I think, you, normally I think you would like both things we showed, and now you've been able to get through both things, and one of them you didn't really care for. <laughs> That's the irony of it. You know, you keep missing, like, yes. the really good, like, but you'll be able to stick around for some of the movies coming up, so... Um, Oh, yes, I'm looking forward to what we have coming up because I have no idea what to expect. One thing I love about this show is that you get me to watch stuff that I may not normally watch otherwise. Oh, Mm. good. Yeah, well, I mean, like, Koa Call Girl is everything, let's face it. Oh, so fun. (laughs) I just keep, I I still love her in Death of a Cheerleader. Yeah, well, everything. I mean, mean, we're going to, Tori Spelling is going to show up again. That's all I'm going to say. It's an an annual thing, I think. Yeah, yeah, she'll be here. (laughs) She's in her hearts and in her minds and in her show. And so we bid adieu to Nate, and we will talk to you next time. Uh, Good night, Nate. Looking forward to it. Good night. All right. Good night. Okay. So let me just start with Jack's feedback from the beginning, Um, and then I'll just stop when I get to the Nate part. So uh, Jack, DVD78 on Twitter, uh, he says, here I am with some feedback. Okay, I wrote some feedback and scrapped it because Please Don't Hit Me Mom was harder to write about than I thought. It's a well-done special, and Patty, Sean, Lance, and Nancy were all great in it. I really like Nancy's high school friend played by Dina Freeman. She's a great character actress who has popped up on so many TV shows. On to Two Loves for Jenny. Had no idea it starred Carlene Crockett. Loved her as Muriel on Dallas playing Charlene Tilton's best friend, an excuse for meeting up with guys when she should have been at home studying. Carlene is wonderful, and I liked her southern accent. I felt really bad for Doug because this scholarship is his ticket to be able to go to college, and then Susan shows up, and you know he is done for. There is that moment when she, when Susan comes home... When Susan comes out during the competition and Doug is playing, and I was waiting for her presence to ruin his performance. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I think I felt that the first time, too. Okay, so Susan wins and Doug is crushed, but I still think Doug deserved the scholarship. Let's face it, Susan was just going to be be her best at playing the fiddle at Backwoods Country Hoedowns. I'd like to think Doug was able to find it as a means to go to school and pursue his dreams of playing professionally. Lance Guest is just a nice, handsome guy, and he just charms enough that you don't care who he would who he would crush to get what he wants. That would have been a whole other after-school special. Lance Guest seems to be the man of the hour, and it was nice that he was able to do an interview. He is still the best-looking ambulance, and he put Lance in capitals. You get that oh ambulance <laughs> driver? I have seen. I have to agree with that. Lori <laughs> totally forgot about Ben Tramer after meeting him. Yay, yes. I said that too. Love both specials, and there are so many other great ones along, so many TV movies that still need to be given podcasts. Is it possible that you all can win the lottery, quit your day jobs, and just record podcasts? Seriously, <laughs> though, I don't see how you guys find the time to juggle all that you do, so each new podcast is always wonderful to hear. Thank you so much, Jack. Um, Thank you, Jack. And I know Nate appreciates you watching Criminally Insane because that's like one of his all-time favorite movies. Yes. So that was really good. And um, he's right. Uh, I forgot 
that the first time I watched that, I was expecting um, Susan to be the distraction to Doug when he's playing, when she comes out and he's trying to audition. Yeah. And it's interesting that it doesn't go that route. It actually goes a very normal way. You know, he just performs to the best of his ability and then she does, you know, so it's kind of interesting. Yeah. In that way, I guess it's a twist, right? Um, and then we heard from my friend Philip, who is, uh, I talked to him uh, a lot, actually, on um, the uh, Facebook page for my blog. Uh, he's really, really cool. I think this might be his first piece of feedback, uh, though, to the show. So Philip wrote... Please don't hit me, mom. Uh, feedback. Uh, ha- please don't hit me, mom. Has to be have the. Oh my gosh, I'm having a hard time reading this. Please don't hit me, mom. Has to have the greatest cast ever assembled for an after-school special. Any one of the four main characters could have carried one on their own. The fact that I found it such a downer was a testament to how good the performances were. Once again, no review, but here's some observations. Saying you don't have a date on the prom yet to Nancy McKeon is the most ridiculous thing ever on television. How did Lance Guest not overtake Chevy Chase as king of the sardonic lanky dudes of the 1980s? It's a mystery that must be solved. My heart sank when Brian dropped his book in the gutter. I actually let out a little gasp when it happened. Patty Duke really had a real aura of suburban menace to her. Um, Her egg outburst, it was terrifying. Damn, that slap to Brian in the kitchen sounded a little too method. Matthew's, uh, Matthew's, Matthew's, Matthew's party is looking to be the Phil Bad Gathering of 1981. I think I won't RSVP. Speaking of which, watch Lance Guest weasel away during the doctor's speech on abuse. Stick move. The babysitter slap, even even Patty knows you don't mess with the Joe Polnicek. The ending did feel a little <laughs> Yes, true. The ending did feel a little anticlimactic after how much tension preceded it. Oh, so he pretty much was on the same page with us on this one. Yeah, I think that's interesting. He wrote about the uh doctor's speech on abuse and uh you could see that Lance Guest was sort of like I don't want to be here. Yeah, he was yeah. And that's kind of an, to be in that room, uh, hallway. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it's interesting he wrote the phrase there, dick move, because when you think about it, I mean, there was something really, like, self-serving about him to a point. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked about that being sort of protection for himself because he didn't know what to do, but I could see that looking really bad. You because know what they, I mean? They, but they do have, that. yeah, the little girl who is um, who won't speak to the doctor, and it's like, why won't she talk to you? Well, her dad beat her so bad that he, I forget what he did to her, but he put her in the hospital. You know, yeah. it's like, and you can just see Lance Guest kind of fading into the back. And, I, and when I say Lance Guest, I don't mean Lance Guest. I mean his character fading yes. into the background. I, Michael, I think, was the character's name. Um, yes. I've, yeah, it's a, that was a moment that maybe we could have talked about. It was really interesting because I think you can view him as being kind of a jerk through part of it because he's ignoring it. But I think at the same time, you understand why. And we talked about yeah. that earlier. So, yeah, it's interesting. Um, and then I just have one last piece. So this was actually really quick. Um, Kristen at Kiki Writes wrote Yay. the best thing ever. She wrote, I haven't had time to watch the movies. My only feedback is Lance Guest is a babe. <laughs> and uh, and I responded and I said that is concise and accurate feedback. <laughs> Yay. Yay! Thank you, Kristen. Thank you. I think she's. I think she summed up everything we talked about over the last two and a half hours. Let's guess. She really did. Yeah. <laughs> he's, 
he's totally a babe. I mean, that's just what it is. So, um, so that's our feedback for this episode. Uh, I'm really glad that people wrote in and we got that audio feedback. We are now obviously accepting audio feedback and there are different ways to get in touch with us. So you can send your feedback, uh, in email or in an MP3 to, uh, TV mayhem podcast at gmail.com, or you can contact us on Twitter at TV mayhem podcast, or you can look for us on Facebook at the made for TV mayhem show. We also both have our own Twitter accounts. And I think mine is just made for TV mayhem. Uh, Dan, what are you? Uh, at, at, uh, Danny slacks one, I believe is my main Twitter. And then, um, a E super train one is for eventually super train. Okay. And then, and then oh. I think um, dismember. <laughs> I forget what the uh, night to dismember one is. Crap. That's, that's too many twitters. Yeah, too that's many. too many twitters. Sorry, sorry. Just the two. Uh, Just the two. And um, and we're gonna be doing a very special episode next month. It's probably gonna come a little early. I want to get this edited as fast as I can. Of course, we're still running our same normal length, but um, uh, I'm gonna be out of the country at the end of October. I'm gonna be speaking right. at the Uni- University of Kent. Um, uh, just a very short paper presentation at a conference called At Home with Horror. By the time this comes out, they'll have their conference program up. Uh, everybody should take a look at it. I have no idea what else is going to be talked about, but I'm going to be talking about um, paranormal telefilms and second wave feminism. Nice. And, uh, yeah, I'm really excited about it. Um, I'm still working on my paper, but it's coming along. And so, uh, so I don't want to have too much on my plate in October because that's going to be a really big trip for me. Um, so we're doing, I don't know what we should give it a quirky fun name, but I don't really have a name for it. So basically what we're doing is we're putting our feelers out in the next couple days, probably after this comes out, but maybe before, um, where we're going to ask people to sort of program their own TV movie marathons for Halloween. So what we want you to do is come with up with a list of about three to five titles, of movies that you would watch on Halloween. And they could be movies that you actually do watch or movies that you would like to watch but you haven't in a long time but you remember loving or whatever, or movies even you'd like to see on Halloween that you think are appropriate. And then we're going to get together and um, we're going to just read them. And I don't know how we're going to do it exactly. Like if a lot of people talk about Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, I might just group them together by title, <laughs> but I'll probably do them by person. Um, and if that's not long enough, then I have a game planned for us as well. We haven't done a game in a while. No, we haven't, and it's going to be a special Halloween game, and that's all I'm going to say about it. So um, it'll be really fun, but we would we would love to get feedback. We do get a few things every episode, but it, like we did with the uh, our favorite actresses, we got a lot of just real basic, simple feedback, and I think that this lends itself to that. So you can just really tweet us titles, or you can send us an email and tell us why you chose those titles, or an MP3. Uh, but if you just want to send titles, uh, that's fine, too, because we'll talk about all of them. Um, and uh, that's it. So Yay. I guess that's good night for everybody, and we'll see you soon. Good night. Yeah, good night, everybody. <laughs>